by the pinching Harley. And that's wrapped all the way around to go. He wheels and deals center circle. Off to steal. Harley pokes that pass to the corner. It ends up right out in front. Shot score! It's over! And who does it but Hartman? Fought through injury all night and he gets the game winner! What a road win in overtime for Minnesota in game one! Hey now, hey now, hey now all, welcome to the Sportscasters Podcast, Season 13, Episode 8, my name is Steve Bennett, it is Friday, April 21st, 2023, in beautiful Buffalo, New York. Tonight on the program, one of the OGs of the Sportscasters, Richard Deitch, will join us for a long talk about sports and media. And we'll reflect on some other things, which I'll mention in a second. Also on the show today, one of the greatest lines in college hockey history, Andrew Miller, Kenny Agostino, and Jesse Root, the heart and soul of the 2013 Yale Bulldogs National Championship team will be on the show together. Uh, I did mention how one thing I wanted to do this year was do more pairs. Well, tonight we have a triplet, uh, a whole line, a whole hockey line to reflect on Yale's 10 years as champions. Now, I mentioned last week when Joe Davis was on that instead of doing four Yale-specific episodes like we did at the five-year anniversary, that this time around, I would sprinkle in over the next few episodes some Yale-related interviews. And last week, we did Joe Davis, spent a few minutes on how three of the six hockey games he's ever called in his life were the Yale Regional, had some memories there from Joe. Now, this week, Richard Deitch and I will talk a little bit about going viral in June and July of 2013 as it related to my picture that was in Sports Illustrated um, and CNN Evening News and all over the place thanks to Richard's tweet, which was a copy of my tweet. So for those who don't know, in 2013, when I was away at the Frozen Four, my Uncle Paul took a picture of my brothers and I at the end of the night, after my brother Anthony had won the national championship for Yale huddling. Okay. I'm home a few weeks later, and I see this picture, and I think to myself, wow, that's one of the best moments of my life right there, and I have a picture of it. Okay. So I sent out a tweet. It said something like, just noticed I have a picture of one of the best moments of my life. It's so cool I have a picture of it. Does anyone else have one? Something like that. So a few weeks later, I'm talking to Richard on text about something totally unrelated. And because we're talking, he goes and looks at my Twitter feed. See, because it's always been a funny joke to Richard that he doesn't follow me on Twitter. It's a big troll that he started back in 2011. Still doesn't follow me. Um, And so since we were talking, he went and looked at my feed. And he saw this tweet. And he tweeted the exact same thing, except he changed the pronouns. It was something like, who has a picture of the best moment of their life? What a gift. And then he put hat, hat tip and my name at sports underscore casters. And it blew up. It blew up for a week or two. You know, it was everywhere. The picture was everywhere. I got interviewed by CNN. 
Uh, Richard was on the CBS Evening News along with our picture. You know, the pictures were in Sports Illustrated. They were on eEntertainment.com. They were everywhere you could think of for those few days. Uh, the New Haven Register interviewed Anthony and I about it. Uh, WGR 55 in Buffalo interviewed me about it. Uh, it was great. It was really good. It was really fun. And Richard and I will reminisce on that moment and talk a bunch of sports media in a few minutes. And then, of course, the guys uh, will kind of round out the series. Maybe we'll do one or two more in the next couple of weeks if something comes up. But for the most part, I feel like we've shown proper respect to Yale and their 2013 national championship team. You know what might be fun is maybe I'll have my brother uh, host with me one of the next few episodes uh, and get some memories from him. All right, before we get to those things, first thing first, I got to talk about Italy and their domination of the European competitions. Uh, there's three main competitions in Europe, Champions League, uh, the Europa League, and then there's the newer one, which Roma won last year, which for whatever reason I can't think of the name of. Uh, but in those three competitions, we're down to 12 teams left, four in each. And five of those teams are from Italy. Two are from Spain and two are from England. Everyone else is one. Okay? So AC Milan and Inter Milan are still alive in the Champions League. Now, Italy had three teams going into that round. And the only Italian team that lost was Napoli because they lost AC Milan. One of the Italian teams had to lose that one. Uh, in the... Uh, Europa League, Juventus went on, and Roma at Stadium Olimpico on Thursday won an amazing match. Super cool. The stadium was incredible. Tati was in the building watching the legend who scored the winner for the national team in the round of 16 against Australia in 2006 on a penalty. Um, and Roma and Juventus are through to the Final Four there. And then Fiorentina, Fiorentina uh, is through to the finals of the uh, of the third the third competition. Which why I can't think of the name of it, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but look at it, it's an amazing opportunity for Italy. And here's one of the big things that really excited me is that in these wins, huge competition or contributions from Italians, right? Inter Milan, Nicolo Barella maybe had the best weekend of anyone in the Champions League. Uh, Barella scored an incredible goal, and he had a goal in the first leg as well. So Barella scores in each leg. Um, DiMarco has an incredible play for Inter, an assist. Uh, in the Juventus game, you see incredible contributions from Fede Chiesa. You know, Roma, Spinazzola scores the first goal. Um, I think there was three goals by Italians in that game. Um, so it's really nice to see the Italian players leading this. You know, I hear a lot of doom and gloom about Italian soccer, about the stadiums. They don't have money. You know, this is bad. That is bad. But I like to keep my glass half full, and I see so many great things. So many good young Italian players like Bastoni was so great uh, in the game for Inter. Uh, Mancini was really good for Roma, uh, Chiesa, like I mentioned, Barella, you know, and that's just these teams. There's uh, Fagioli and Moretti, 
and Locatelli on Juve. And Juve, I always have said, I think is probably my favorite because they have so many Italian players. And they're set to have even more next year. Um, and, and they all they, they play and they contribute and they made big moments. And, you know, it's a huge, huge year for Italy. But now here's the key. This is all nice, but we need a trophy or two as well. You know, um, like I said, the uh, Roma won one of the three last year when they won the um, the smallest of the three. The, the third tier uh, Europa League is uh, Conference League is the name of the third one. UEFA Conference League. That was won last year uh, by Roma. And uh, this year, uh, Fiorentina could win that one. So we need a trophy there. Uh, Roma or Juventus could win the Europa League. And then, of course, Inter and AC Milan will play each other in the semifinals. We know we will have an Italian finalist in the Champions League this year. And they will be the underdog to whoever wins the other side, um, Man City or Real Madrid. But it's it's one game then. There's no two legs in the championship. It's a championship game, an instable, winner-take-all, single-elimination soccer, and anything can happen in one game. You know, if AC Milan is the representative, Magic Mike could steal that game. You know, Holland could throw 15 shots, and Magic Mike turns them all away. You know, and boom, we hit a counter, and... Uh, you know, Tonali gets a goal, and they win that one nothing. Anything can happen there. They'll be the underdog, and that'll be a good spot for them to be. You know, they get to play the role of no one believes in us. All the pressure is going to be on Man City or Real Madrid. Be no pressure on Milan or Inter if they make the final. So I like that spot there. Juventus. Uh, oh, and by the way, Juventus got their points back this year, this week for now. So as of right now, AC Milan and Inter Milan are fifth and sixth. They might need to win the league to be in it, Champions League to be in it next year. So huge games for them in that sense. Maybe we could have five Italian teams in Champions League next year. Let's say AC Milan wins, finishes fifth. Then they would be in it, and then we'd have the other four as well, the top four. I would love, by the way, to see Roma and Jose Mourinho in that next year. I just think the stadium, the energy, the passion, they're – He's been so good. The relationship he has with Roma, I hope he stays uh, for a long time because I think they can win trophies there. They can build that up um, and invest in some players. You know, these long runs, that's another thing. These long runs in these tournaments means big money for these teams, and there's no reason these clubs can't improve because of it. Uh, so I'm a really excited fan of Italian soccer. You know, obviously the Azzurri are my number one, my number one love. And then in terms of club soccer, I root for the Italian teams in the European competitions and the Italian players. You know, I don't live or die with any one club. I would have liked to see Napoli in a lot of ways beat AC Milan. Um, but, you know, they don't. They choked. They bottled. They got, you know, um, Oshiman got hurt and they didn't play Raspadori for some reason. And they got behind. And they fell victim to the San Siro, you know, couldn't win there. And uh, AC Milan is through. So a little bit of soccer talk there. Italian teams, amazing. The NHL playoffs began on Monday. Uh, the first full week is just about over. Um, some good stuff. We had a double overtime game on night one. Ryan Hartman scored the OT winner. Ryan Hartman, who played on one knee for the Wild all night, battled, battled, battled. You know, in between periods, he's kind of skating around by the bench, seeing if he can go, 
you know, doing everything he can just to be out there, gets a bounce off the boards and finishes it, wins the game um, for for the um, for the Wild. That series is one to one. The Oilers lost the first game. McDavid was off the, didn't get on the score sheet, uh, but they bounced back in game two. That's one to one as we speak. Uh, the Jets had the upset. Hollybuck's been incredible in game one, but the Golden Knights and that piss pot Eichel, even that series. The Kraken, they upset the Avalanche in game one. Had a 2 nothing lead in game two, but blew it. Uh, three to two loss. That's two to two, or one to one in that series. The Bruins and the Panthers. The Bruins are up two to nothing in game three, looking to take a two games to one lead there. And the Hurricanes are up two to nothing on the Islanders uh, with the lead as we talk, looking to take a lead there as well. Rangers two nothing. On the Devils, Patrick Kane scored a sick goal, looked great the other night. And the Leafs and the Lightning exchange blowouts. That series is one-to-one. Just great to have the NHL playoffs back. The atmosphere has been really good. Competition's been really good. Excuse me. Game's been really fast. Really enjoyed it. Now, on the flip side of that, the NBA playoffs have started. Now, the NBA is a league that has a thing called load management. Okay, their players... Don't even, you know, play <laughs> every game. They need to sit down and have their load managed. Well, already in the playoffs, Joel Embiid, the Greek Freak, John Morant, Kawhi Leonard, and Tyler Hero are all injured. Uh, it's been announced Embiid is going to miss the next game with a knee injury. I'm not saying these guys aren't hurt, but you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is pathetic. Do, does this mean anything to anyone? Does I mean, really? I don't know. Load management is all I hear all year. They pay these guys huge salaries. You know, they're thinking about putting in a rule to say that the stars of the league have to play 65 games if they want to win the MVP so they can ensure that the guys play at least 65 games. Uh, but here we are, and Embiid has an MRI on his knee. He's out for game four. Um, I think the early discussion is it shouldn't be that much longer. Um, but, you know, he sat and managed his load, you know, half the year. And here we are, first week of the playoffs, and he's already out. If you like the NBA, God bless you. For me, it's shit. Uh, one of my favorite sporting events all year is next Thursday, the NFL Draft. It's from Kansas City, Missouri, the 27th. It's on ESPN, ABC, NFL Network, ESPN Desportes, and ESPN Radio. Um, the Chicago Bears had the first pick, but they traded it uh, to the Carolina Panthers. And uh, the Panthers will draft, draft first. We assume a quarterback. Is it going to be C.J. Stroud? Is it going to be Bryce Young? Will they do something different? How many quarterbacks are going to go in the first round? Uh, who's going to go where? Um, you know, Hayden Hooker. Uh, how will his ACL, will he slip into the first round or will he be two or three? Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, where will he go? The Saints are uh, picked 29th. I uh, wish I had their original pick of 10, which the Eagles have. Uh, but at least they're back in the first round. They always like to move. We'll see if they do. Where does Robinson, the running back from Texas, end up? Can he creep into the top 10 uh, or will he be later in the round? The tight ends. There should be two, I think, first-rounders. The kid from Notre Dame and one other. Where will they go? A lot of exciting wide receivers. It's a really good offensive draft. Last year's wasn't great, 
Uh, this year's is. Lots of quarterbacks. Next year will be the Caleb Williams show. Uh, but the draft is Thursday. Looking forward to it. Richard Deitch and I will talk a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, one last thing I want to mention before we move on, football-wise. Jamison Williams and four other Detroit Lions uh, were suspended today. Uh, five players league-wide suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy after an investigation by the league. Um, let's see. Uh, Lions wide receiver Quintez Cypress and safety CJ Moore have been suspended indefinitely for betting on NFL games. Can't do that. I get that. Uh, as was Washington's defensive end, Shaka Tony. They can reapply for reinstatement after one year, although Detroit's announced that its two players have been outright released. So they'll have to find new jobs if they're going to be reinstated. Look at gambling is everywhere. It's right out there. It's it's wild. The league has to be on top of this. They suspended Calvin Ridley for a year. Um, but this is where you kind of feel a little bit bad for the players. Second-year wide receivers, Jamison Williams and Stanley Berryhill, are being suspended for six games for mobile betting that occurred at the Lions facility. They didn't bet on NFL games. I think it was basketball games. Um, the NFL noted in its announcement that it uncovered no evidence indicating any inside information was used or that any game was compromised. Um, the Lions made a statement here. As a result of an NFL investigation, it came to our attention that a few of our players had violated the gambling policy. These players exhibit a decision-making that is not consistent with their organizational values and violates league rules. We've, meet, we've made the decision to part ways with uh, Quintez and CJ immediately. We're disappointed by the decision-making demonstrated by Stanley and Jameson. We'll work with both players to ensure that they understand the severity of these violations and have clarity on the league rules moving forward. Now, here's the weird thing about that one. So supposedly they put a bet on the Lakers game and they use their app on the phone in the Lions facility. Now, if they had like went outside for a smoke break or something and done it outside the facility, apparently that would be legal. So it's a real technicality. And for those guys to uh, lose six games, that's brutal. Uh, Williams's agent had this statement. Jameson takes full responsibility for his actions. Very apologetic to the NFL, his teammates and fans in the city of Detroit. However, it's important to note that Jameis's violation was not for betting on football, but rather due to a technical rule regarding the actual location in which the bet was placed and would otherwise have been allowed by the NFL outside of the club's facility. Jameis would never intentionally, intentionally jeopardize the integrity of the game he loves so much and he looks forward to getting back to the team as soon as possible. This is bullshit. You know, this this is garbage. And I feel for the kid. He already missed essentially the whole year last year. I know he played a bit the last few games, but on a tight, tight pitch count, he had the one long touchdown, and that was really the only play of note. And now he's got to miss six games for a bet that if he would have made three steps outside the front door, there'd be no suspension. I don't know. I get what the, the NFL has to be strict here. They have to be on top of this thing. I think they could have let that one go. Or maybe, you know, three games, maybe send him to some kind of, I don't know, class to learn the loot. I don't know. It just seems ridiculous. Six games for a bet that if he made it three feet out the front door was legal. I don't know. Maybe fix that one. We'll see. All right, that's first things first for today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk with one of the OGs of the sportscasters. He first appeared on episode 
three of the show back in 2011. We'll be right back with Richard Deitch. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. What's up, Richard? How you doing, my man? All right. Good to be back with you. What is What appearance is this for me now? Like 13th? Oh, my God. You know... I did so well for so many years keeping a beautiful, up-to-date spreadsheet. <laughs> it's which, hard to do. Which I've completely fallen off on, but you've got to be inching close to the 20s. Well, Wertheim is, t- is number one Wertheim, of all the people I know. Wertheim is probably number one now because Jenkins dropped off. You know what I mean? Yes, right. Um, it used to be Lee Jenkins. Yep. Yeah, and, and he's such a nice guy, too. Like I'll, I reached out to him when it was the 10th year, and I was like, I'd love to have you on, even if for, for 10 minutes, to celebrate you being the... The best guest, you know, the most, uh, not best, but the most. Um, tenure, tenure. Tenure, yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. he just he just wouldn't do it. He, You know, and I think he thinks for some reason, he, I would think he knows me, that I don't know anything about basketball or really care about it. But I think he's worried, you know, he might say the wrong thing. And I tried everything, but he's like, listen, if I ever do an interview, I'll do it with you. And when I'm done with this job, I'll definitely do it. We'll yeah, see. I haven't talked to I haven't talked to Lee in a while. Um, somebody who I really, really have so much respect for. It was great to work with him. I do sort of see where he's coming from. Like, no, I get he's, it now, he's now yeah. an executive for the NBA, and yep. the reality is, like, his words probably have more professional risk as a NBA personnel person as opposed to being an NBA writer. Do you know what I mean? So I get why he'd be like, "Oh, I get it. I got to I got to be careful on this." That said, it'd be great to talk to him because I think he would be he has the most unique perspective of any NBA former NBA writer. Maybe John Hollinger and he are sort of tied because they both had a similar path, but he he he, he was an incredible writer and profiler from the outside and now he spent five years like inside an organization and right. like a really good one. Like he he his NBA knowledge is kind of incredible. He's a very, very unique person just given given his uh, resume. I keep him close. I sent him a text the other night when they won the first playoff game and said, hey, have a have a run. You know what I mean? Good luck to you nice. guys this spring. So I well, keep next him time you text him, t- tell, t- tell thank, him you for, thank, thank him for taking Kawhi Leonard away from my city. <laughs> it seems like the Raptors won that championship and then went right to, I don't know. <laughs> Mediocrity. I haven't yeah, the, thought uh, about him since. I, I well, no, no, they, they they were very good that next year. The next they year. actually had a really, really yeah. good team um, following the championship team, and and maybe you can make the argument they were the best team in the East, even without Kawhi. But then after that, um, everything changed. You know, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka. You know, Marcus Saul got old. Serge Ibaka got traded. Um, uh, Norm Powell was gone. You know, a lot of the sort of the some of the championship pieces were gone. And then there's the reality is like, and this is so true in the NBA, 
like you have to have one of these top alphas. Like Pascal Siakam or is an all star, right? Or two, but he's, maybe. Yeah, yeah, right. But he's not Kawhi, and like it's just a difference between Kawhi, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Giannis. You know sure. what I mean? It's there's a like superstar driven league. The, the superstar. Yeah, it's just like there's like a top seven, and yep. then there's everybody else, and like you kind of have. To, it feels like you have to have that top seven every year to 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 have a shot to get to the to the finals and uh but yeah i mean it's that's that franchise which has been so much fun to watch and uh um living here in toronto they're they're in a they're kind of in the worst place the worst place is to be in the middle either upper middle or lower middle right. yeah. but the, the middle is a killer i remember there was this ridiculous talk going on that they were like more popular in the city than the leafs and they, they i feel like they had a stretch where they were i i don't know if that's the case right now but Coming off the championship, I think they were. I mean, they were so immensely popular in the city, in the country. Um, you know, I mean, you know this as a hockey guy. Like, at least haven't won in a long, long time. So you, you, you had a lot of young fans. This was their first championship they could ever be part of. Yeah, so, yeah I think it was a response to the winning. You know what I mean? I agree. And, and, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and it was a great moment for the team and a great run and, and all that. But I think... You know, still deep down, it's the Leaf City. You know what I it's mean? It's a hockey but, city. Yeah. yeah, no, unquestionably. I, I, there's, a, you know, there's some sports fans who make the argument that if the Jays win, it's a baseball country, which it may be, like because the, they, because when the Jays have won here, the whole country gets yep. behind. No, them. you're right about but that. I, but I would say, I would say, the reality is, it's still, it's still a Leafs and hockey city, just because culturally, hockey still is. Um, the number one sport here. It, it is moving a little, you know, like basketball sort of moving up for sure and, and, and gaining some traction on hockey. But the reality is like still on a weekend, on a Saturday, Sunday, you know, you go all around Ontario and you still see little kids like, you know, starting to skate on the ice and playing ball hockey or whatever. It's still, yeah, that's not going to change. Hockey's never, I think, not going to be the number one sport of Canada. But I do think like basketball, We'll continue to sort of move up as will soccer. Those are, to me, the two growth sports in the country. Well, yeah, thanks to the Italians for soccer, of course. Bernadette, Lorenzo and Signe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, cool thing about the Blue Jays, I think, is like if you go to a Blue Jays Mariners game in Seattle, it's full of Blue Jays fans from Vancouver and stuff. Because they great. Do, the whole country does root for that one team, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great – I wish I, – I would love to see them play the uh, Mariners because I think that would be a fun atmosphere because it like feels like half Mariners crowd. Yeah. Half Blue Jays credit, and the Blue Jays are good, legit good this year. I can't. I'm not sure. I don't know if they'll win the World Series or not, but they are a legit top five, top six MLB team. So I think in that sense, it's going to be a it's going to be a very very fun baseball year. I think they're far and away right now the the sort of must see franchise in Toronto. It's not the Leafs, depending on what happens in the postseason, sure. and obviously it's not the Raptors right now for sure. Well, it'll be interesting. I really want to get there for a game this year because they put all that money into the stadium, and I heard it really yeah, does feel I've like a there. ballpark too. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I've been yeah. there. Uh, I was there for uh, game two against the uh, Tigers, second game, home game. Stadium is beautiful. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. They change the dimensions, so it's like a much more interesting stadium. It's not as cookie cutter. Uh, they have a lot of these open spaces, you know, which have become very, very popular in like uh, Arizona. I think Pittsburgh has it, so you have these. Yep. Spaces where you basically can come in and sit anywhere, um, which is uh, which is cool. Uh, you know, new food, amenities, and all that. And then if you go in the upper deck, they ripped out all the seats and 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 put in bigger seats. So it's half of the renovations done. But even 
the half that they did is great. It's a much better experience. Uh, and the one cool thing, and again, this is very different for me, obviously, growing up in New York and seeing the Mets and Yankees. It's just crazy to buy a ticket and know that it can't get rained out. You know, they just right. put the dome up. Like, yeah. That's just, you know, I can't tell you how many times, like, me and my friends would be at Shea Stadium and we just get getting soaked on. You'd have to wait through endless rain delays. It's just, it's crazy to just be like, know that, like, if you have a ticket for this game, like, you're not getting rained out. Like, there, there is, every game will be completed in Toronto. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I think over the years that I've been there for baseball games, the first time I was ever there was WrestleMania six. Hogan and Ultimate oh. Warrior, yeah, but oh, um, yeah, that would have been awesome. That was except for I was, I was so far away from that ring, you can make an argument <laughs> I wasn't actually there. Um, Hogan I, Rock, though that that would have been the one to be at because that you can make the argument that that may be the most famous. Well, I mean, I guess Andre Hogan has to be. Hogan Rock is on the short list of most famous WrestleMania matches ever. Yeah, and Hogan Warrior is not that far behind it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that too. The uh, <laughs> I was only nine. Yeah, nine. And uh, I cried the whole way home. So it was, it was great. Wow. Vince was in love with the. Uh, Vince was in love with Warrior. Although Pritchard has said that they knew when they got in the limo that night that they fucked up. Yeah, it just. I mean, he had went missing. Know. The Warrior went missing after the match. Yeah, Jim Halway was, yeah. was a weird guy. Uh, and um, I think in hindsight, like the problem, forget about like the man behind the character. The problem is I don't think you can have like a character who's not a human being for a long run. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. like, yep. It has to be a person. I get Hulk Hogan is not Terry Balea, but you know what I'm saying. I, I think it has to be a person who owns the belt as opposed to like. Uh, well, he's hard. You know, he was hard to relate to. Smash or like yeah, yeah, or yeah. the Ultimate Warrior. It just doesn't. It, that, that chase doesn't like that has a shelf life. No one ever knew um, what he was talking about, so he's, it's hard to relate to him. You know what I mean? It was yeah, hard to yeah, be in his world. Like, yeah, the promo, like, put it this way, like, he's a good promo for, like, a month, and then after that, it's like... What is he talking about? Stuff. Yeah, what is he saying? Yeah, right. What? Why is he looking at his hands? You know, it's interesting because we're kind of here now doing a little wrestling rap, but I want to ask you about Conrad a little bit because you've always been such a supporter and a fan of his. Yeah. And I kind of look at him a little bit like the guys who created Two and a Half Men or whatever on TV. It's like they create... Their first show, which for him would be Pritchard Show, right? And yep. it, it blows up, and it's amazing, and it's really good, and you love to listen or watch it or whatever the case is for a TV show. So then the network want them to do another show and another show and another show, and all of a sudden they have six shows, and they're all not as good as the first show was because the guy making the show is spread so thin, you know, and then contracts. It just gets so complicated. I feel like that's been the way for him, and of course it doesn't help that Pritchard – Works for the WWF, so you have no idea when that show is ever going to come out, when it's new. Um, you know, there's been so many compilations. They've split those original 140 pods up so many times now. Um, if it's a good thing they're not on tape, or there'd be nowhere to yeah, splice so, with so the I razor some, anymore. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I have some thoughts on that. I, I disagree with you on a couple things. I do think some of the shows that have been created since that sh that show are excellent. I think Grilling Jr. has consistently been excellent when it's Conrad. And Jr. I think Jarrett's show is very, very good if you're into TNA and that era. I think 83 Weeks has, generally speaking, been excellent uh, more than well, Bischoff not. is very I, good. He is very good. He's a great yeah, storyteller for sure. He's a great yeah. storyteller. And, yeah, and just like, I mean, a great character, a good heel character. I love Click This. 
I think that's phenomenal, and that's sort of a that's part of the Conrad Podcast Network. Because I is think that's Sean Nash, Oliver and Kevin Nash. Yeah, okay. that's a great yeah. story. But the the reality is, Conrad, who I love, is spread very thin. Yes, he can't host every show, and the people who he has hosting it when he's not there, they're not bad. They're just not him, and it's just it's a very different show. And then. The thing with Bruce, and again, you know, I, I feel like nationally, I probably wrote about them first than any other national writer. And not, not, not to sound like an asshole, I'm just, I think factually, I think that's true. Um, the, the, once he went back to WWE, that whole show changed. He's just, he pulls punches now. And yep, it's yep. not, it's just not nearly as good a show. And by the way, I don't blame Bruce. Like, you know, if I'm getting paid a half million bucks, like I'm going to. I'm gonna show loyalty to that employer, and that is what he more, loves more than Conrad. That is, yeah. that's his life. And, that's what he wants and that's, to do. You know? And that's why the show is different and not as good. Is yeah. that that's Bruce fair. is no longer Bruce is no longer free to sp- to speak freely. And there was a big delineation and a big line when he went back. And when he does a show that's like sort of about somebody who has no connection anymore to the WWE and Still good. not yeah. really part of it. It's great because yeah, yeah. he's an amazing storyteller. Right. But if it's anything connected to like anybody, like he used, he, if, if you listened as I did to those early shows, he, 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 he wasn't, he would never bury Vince, but he could occasionally be critical and sort of realistic. And now at this point he can't go even there. And so that's why I think things change. But, um, you know, I give Conrad so much credit. He created an incredible nostalgic network. I, I think that Cornette owes some debt to Conrad because I think Conrad helped popularize the genre. Um, yeah. Those that kind of genre. And Cornette's show I think is excellent as yeah. well. And so uh, Conrad again, just one of these guys who just is really incredibly smart and um, I'm really happy for his success because I know he's a big wrestling fan. He works his ass off, and he's smart. It's good to see smart people rewarded. But your take on Pritchard is not wrong at all. It's it is it is not the same show we both started listening to in 2017. It's just a different show. And I think we could agree on to end on a positive note for them. The 150 or whatever it was first shows of that are the best wrestling podcast that will ever be made. I agree with that. No yes. one's going to top I, that. I, un, un, I 100%. And I don't think I agree. I don't think there will be a better. You know, again, it's just very different to listen to like busted open radio and like that podcast. They just do different things. But in terms of if you are into sort of like the stories of the most famous people who are part of like sports entertainment, like they'll never be a better podcast. I agree with you. Yeah, Bruce, you know what I think his number one skill was, too, is and this is something that Shivani couldn't get, which is why they pivoted so quickly. But what Bruce is great at is one, he has good recall, right? But yeah, if, great but, recall. But if he didn't have it, he didn't say, "Oh, I don't remember right away," and and like ruin the. He would keep it going. He would. Yes. He would tell an adjacent story, or he would blur the lines a little bit there, and and just sort of run with something, or he just had he's this, a perform- Yeah, yeah. Bruce is really a performer, yeah, and he really can perform. Good. By the way, I will say, I think Shivani. When when they rewatch the old Crockett stuff, I think that's great. I love they that. They found but his wheelhouse. It, that was his wheelhouse. Yeah. But right? I'm yeah. in. I'm in. Like I didn't watch a lot of Jim Crockett stuff, so the, I find it interesting because it's really new to. Like I I don't I have I don't really have great recall of Dusty Rhodes in like the late '80s fighting somebody. Like that's interesting to me because I, you know, I I that, I didn't watch that. So I really like that. Yeah, I mean the Shivani show is a million times better. 
than Tony talking about, hey, take us backstage for Starcade 97. Yeah, he just that doesn't, doesn't really work that. with Tony. Yep, he yeah, he's not that. Bruce. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I give Conrad credit. Conrad, yeah, to his he credit, that he, out. Figured, he figured out for almost all these podcasts kind of what works and what doesn't. I will say I don't listen to I don't listen to Arn. I don't listen to the Angle one. Um, I think Mick Foley's an incredible storyteller, I, but I don't. I can't say I listen to that one a lot. There's something um, that feels just, fake about that one. I don't know what it is. Just, it just feels this weird. Is too, this is so, he's just Connors just got too many. Po- I can't listen to ten podcasts. Right, which was my original wrestling. point. I think a little yeah. bit. You know, yeah. just and I and I like I like Cornette a lot. So I'm going to listen so to just because I find out. him. Yeah, insanely interesting. But uh, so yeah, I checked that one out. So there's just only so many hours of that. This is just something I'm curious about because you said you didn't watch a lot of the WCW stuff in the '80s. But have you? Have you discovered a match that you just love, like maybe like you know one of the Steamboat Flare matches for '89 or something? Is there some match or angle or something you went back to watch because of yeah, this that you which, just which, really love? What's fa- yeah, what's fascinating to me is like from going back on like the YouTube time warp. I never saw like Florida wrestling before, okay. some of the and more I just niche. find that yeah. yeah, I just find that fast. Hey, what's it called? Florida was it for Florida Championship Wrestling? Maybe that sounds right. That sounds. I don't right. know, but like. The the that is like so interesting, um, like to me just to sort of see like I think Dusty Rhodes was there, um, although all sorts of guys I guess traveled. Uh, Paul Orndorff started down there. Piper was down there for a little bit. CWF, uh, yeah, CWF, yeah, yeah. Championship there you go. Wrestling from Florida, basically. And the other thing that's just interesting with the old Crockett stuff is it is amazing to me that they did their promos from like this like desk, and then they would like walk over like ten feet to the to ring. The ring, it's yeah, just, the studio wrestling. So different um, than what they do today, and like that's really interesting TV to me because it's like it's like it's like watching something from like outer space. I used to I used to be at my dad's house on Saturdays when I was a kid growing up, and I would watch that on TBS at six oh five, and then go right into the Braves games if it was you know summer or whatever. But I just remember watch. I didn't watch a lot of WCW, but I watched that six oh five show because was something to do at my dad's house and yeah no i mean i again like, i was uh, always entertained by the studio part of it i like that yeah you if you cool. uh, growing up in new york like i was very much obviously in the wwe same. so yeah, like that same. that uh that stuff is farming you know i don't know much about i didn't know much about memphis wrestling until i heard like Cornette speak on it so there's a the whole the history of like professional wrestling is fascinating because all these territories yeah and rock's have, company like, the Rock yeah, Company like, did a nice show. Did you see any of that? The um, on Vice, The Rock and Ger- uh, Brian Gerwitz. They Brian Gerwitz, no, but I but I think it's a great idea to sort of do the history of the territory. Yeah, it was. I saw a few episodes and the ones like I watched the Calgary one and one other one or two. They're good. I, they're on my DVR. I'll get around to all. Of them I gotta check. I gotta check. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen. I gotta see that. I haven't checked. I gotta check that out. Uh, but I like that idea because I again, it's like for me. Um, you know, I don't know much about it. like I feel like for me, like the you know, I do have some early memories of like the rock and jock stuff on MTV, but I don't remember stuff before that. And obviously the stuff before that in the Northeast is like, you know, Bal Backlund, Bruno Sammartino, and right. then obviously in the territories, you know, Jerry Lawler, like all these places, depending on where you live, they had like the guy. Like Minnesota is very famous for Hogan, Vern Gagne, and all right. those people. Like yeah. I just I, I learned all that after the fact. Right, and that, Kansas all City that was Harley Race. Um, yeah, that's yeah. very fascinating yeah. to me. But I Von Erichs, sort of have learned Texas. Yeah, to yeah. learn that after the fact, and I just think it's again. Um, I think the whole business is just interesting, just because it's such a unique business that's unlike anything else. There's just no other scripted 
like sort of reality business where you have people who are like that athletically gifted. It's right. just a, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting business. Uh, we talked about baseball a little bit. We were talking about the Blue Jays, and um, I was talking to Joe Davis last week. Uh, this is the first time I had him. It's pretty cool. Nice. But um, what I was wondering, which I want to get your thought on it. I got his, but the World Baseball Classic is probably and arguably the best international baseball tournament of all time. It was polarizing for whatever reason. That surprised me. But people who loved it, people who didn't, besides the fact, what I thought happened from a broadcasting point of view that was really interesting so it seemed to me like Joe Davis took his place as the voice of baseball. I feel like maybe last year there was, he was the, he was it was it was there's a little shock to it. You know, people turning into the All Star Game of the World Series and they're like, wait a minute, where's Joe Buck? You know, what's going on? You know, who's this guy? I like him more. I like him less. Uh, maybe we were too hard on Buck. You know, all the different feelings that there were. But I felt with that tournament, and he had some great calls in it. There were some great moments. The the ballpark was electric. It, it, everything kind of added up, and I feel like he's kind of taken his place now as the voice of baseball, sort of undisputedly. Yeah, I mean, it's listen. That's all subjective, right? It's all based on individual viewers. I, I, I think that he absolutely took a step forward in terms of the World Baseball Classic of more baseball fans who tune in nationally as opposed to regionally, like IDing his voice, like right. in in Los Angeles. You know, I think people who follow the Dodgers really love the guy. Like, he's he's an excellent broadcaster. They respect him. Um, I think, you know, if you're a diehard baseball fan, you've probably heard of him. Although, you know, you put him into the same category as whoever the other national broadcasters are. So I think to me, like, I think he's just going to need a couple more World Series. And then you'll sort of be used to him uh, as a voice. And then again, it's going to be like, you know, what do you think of them? Uh, meaning uh, Smoltz and he as a team. Um, you've talked to enough sports uh, broadcasters to know that <laughs> this whole thing is subjective, right? Like, yep. it, 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 it's like even someone like Al Michaels, who's like ninety ten in terms of positive negative, like that's an incredible rare rarity. If you can find some a broadcaster, play by play person in particular, where it's like fifty five, sixty percent positive, like that's a Hall of Famer type. You know what I mean? It's like the it's 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 sort of based on your individual ears, and then the hope is just that. At least people, generally speaking, know who's competent, who's prepared, um, who's passionate, and Davis Joe Davis checks all those um, and, and baseball. boxes. He, he he needs some more. The, the, what he needs, and this will happen with time. He needs some more. He needs to be part of more transcendent moments, right? So that people connect the transcendent moment sure. to him, to his voice. Yeah, and I, and I think he kind of stole a couple. He got that with Otani. You know what I mean? Trump, he, yeah, yeah, he got a couple. That he wouldn't, you wouldn't normally get. I think with baseball too, these guys are sabotaged by the fact that people watch home announcers all year long. Of course, you know. So yeah, right. It's even Why harder. isn't my guy calling? Yeah, yeah. If I'm, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a Met fan, I want like Gary Cohen, right. uh, Calling Yankees, my name. Where's if I'm Sterling? A Giant, yeah, where's Sterling? Yeah, yeah. If I'm a Giants fan, I want my city, my San Francisco Giants guys calling it. Or if I'm a White Sox person, I want Benetti and Steve Stone. They, you'll always have that. Um, you know, I think for Buck, who I think is a great baseball broadcaster, um, this is inevitable. Like, this happens all the time. If you call these things year after year after year after year, there will always be people who get sick of you because they, you're, just, you're doing these national games time and time again. And you just, you know, you're, you're, you're in front of millions and millions of people. And again, it's like politics. There's just there's no way you're going to get everybody uniformly um, loving you. But I think what Joe Davis has done, at least from my years and viewing is um, he's already proven. He's just a 
technically sound broadcaster. He's just very prepared, and he understands sort of when to go big on a call, when to go small. So I, I think Fox made a great decision. I, I think um, I think he's going to be very, very good uh, for a long time. And I generally like Smoltz more than not. Um, I like Smoltz, yeah. Yeah, and I, so I think they're a good team. And I love Verducci and Rosenthal as their reporters. So I think they got a, they got a good broadcaster, generally speaking. What are you into right now? Like I was, I was reading back some columns. I I know the NBA rights fees are big. You know, where's that going to go? Yeah. Um, there's maybe some interest in the WWF. What's going to happen there now that that's sold? You know, their rights fees are going to be up as well. And the con is the best at negotiating those kinds of things, so I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, but what else is going on? Like, what's in your notebook? What are the big sports media things that you're kind of following or chasing or interested in right now? Well, I mean, you know, it's been a sort of a very, very busy stretch over the last couple of months. Um, you know, th- as someone who covered women's basketball at Sports Illustrated. They had a great like year. See, they had a great year. Yeah. yeah. To see that thing explode has yeah. been very, very cool. And I think that's a very big story. Um, you're going to start to see more investment in women's sports. You're going to start to see the viewership continue to rise. So that's a major story. Uh, not surprising to me, per se. Um, it's just cool to see that I think uh, – more people now are sort of on that bandwagon, which is good. The NBA right story is just really interesting in the in the fact that it's the next big one to come up. So that's why there's going to be a lot written on this. Um, it's got the potential to bring in like the Amazons and the Apples, which is right. really interesting. Just as a um, yeah, just sort of as a sports business story. College football playoffs are coming up too. I think that's a really interesting rights deal because um, while ESPN obviously is the um, has been the holder of all the college football postseason. That's a big, big price to pay, especially for an expanded playoff. And I think also if you're in the NCAA, you're going to want your other partners, quote unquote partners from these other conferences in. So I, you know, I expect like ESPN have a piece of that, Fox have a piece of that, maybe a streamer has a piece of it. Um, so that's interesting to me. You know, on a, like a more like on a like a more um, like. Uh, um, in the moment kind of thing. Like the NFL draft is always really interesting to me as just a sports media story and a sure. television production. It's on a few and, channels. It's, you know. Yeah, they have quarter. You know, the one thing is like if the draft has star quarterbacks, there's a, there's so much more interest in it than and a non several. Yeah, there's several this year. Yeah. And this year they have that. Where last year, um, defensive player, if I remember right, right, was the first pick and they first barely team. had any. Yeah. yeah. They didn't really have any quarter, like, uh, Kenny Pickett, maybe from first Pittsburgh. one in the 20s. Yep. He was the first yeah, one. Yeah. So yep. it was like, it was just, it was a weird draft. I shouldn't say weird. It was not a good draft for the TV networks because they didn't have any of these quarterbacks to uh, focus around. They have that this year. And they went so, to big schools too, right? Like Ohio State's quarterback, right. Alabama's quarterback. I yep. think that helps um, too, you know, when it's not. And then, and then, I, and then I'm interested, I'm really interested to see how Turner and uh, or Warner Brothers Discovery and ESPN do with the NHL nationally. Um, seems like the see, numbers leveled off. There was all this panic. It was 22% yeah, it's pretty, off. It's, seems like it was about flat. the same in the end, yeah. Yeah, I think it's what they kind of, I think, have a uh, – it's going to be on cable for the first time in this deal, so that's something interesting right, to TNT watch. Right, has the cup this year. And TNT is, gonna, is sort of unlucky in that the Western Conference does not really have a great television market. I don't consider L.A. a great hockey market for TV. Um, and so just look at the teams and they might in that. get Edmonton. They could get Edmonton and that's a ratings which, which killer, again, right? Yeah. That's yeah. The thing is like as a team, they're great and McDavid, exciting that's good. theater. But they're in yeah, Canada. McDavid's awesome, yeah, but, but you, you get nothing yep. T V wise. Yeah. Um so I'm rooting for Edmonton. Like I would love to 
I would love to see Edmonton make it because I think they're a fun team. I'd love to see Connor McDavid go for a Stanley Cup, but that does not help uh, <laughs> Turner at all. In fact, right. it kills him. Um, so that coming up in terms of the immediacy, that's um, that's pretty interesting. I'm trying to sort of think of like what else is uh, if anything else. Are you is into Pac-12 I, I, I mean, right you know, deals at all? Is it that interest you? I mean, uh, you know, I know that, that out. Yeah, I know all my uh, my athletic colleagues are chasing that. I know Marshan and Oran. Oh, really they love that. that. I, they love that. Yeah, yeah I'm not. That. I'm not. I, I mean, it does honestly. Like you can get some free page views for it. Like no doubt. Um, I just at a certain point, like it's just like I think we all know who the players are who are who will eventually get it. It's just that the price is really the story. And the inventory clearly is not that attractive right. for these places. Like, yeah, and they're going to get a deal at a certain point. I mean, it's still major college football and major college athletics. It's just, it's so, um, it's so down the line from like the SEC and the Big Ten. Clearly, like, or else they would have had a deal already. That, um, um, you know, that that. And the last thing I would just say yeah. is this, and again, I, I sort of be the first to admit this. I think if you grow up on the East Coast like I did, I just think you don't have the same attraction and affinity to like the Pac-12. Totally. Um, where mm-hmm. if I lived, like if we were, me and you were having this conversation like in Oakland or in um, Seattle or, you know what I'm saying, or in Eugene, like we'd be really into the story because it, it would impact the schools that are in our area. And so I think that's part of the reason where and no um, USC, con- UCLA either, which yeah, would yeah. be the, uh, the more national draw, and they're gone. For sure, you know? yeah. yeah. But I will say my colleagues at the Athletic have done a great job. They're, the college football group, they're so into the story. Um, but for me, it's like, I yeah. mean, I'm sure I'll write about it when it's done, but yeah, it's, I, I feel like I'm happy that others are reporting it. Let's put it that way. All right, I got one for you that I'm interested in, and I think you'll like it too. The Women's right. World Cup is this yeah. is this summer, and the last World the the, the Qatar World Cup, the, from a broadcasting standpoint, was abysmal. I mean, it was so bad. <laughs> the studio was terrible. I agree. Uh, just everything about it was bad. I mean, the, the I, don't, I don't mind. The, I'm I'm I was higher in the game coverage than your average fan. Okay, but but the but I have no problem with you crushing uh, the broad the the, the I, I mean, listen, it's hard, it's impossible. I think to defend Fox on their studio. I feel like I can defend them a little on the broadcast, but I know a lot of soccer fans who are like. It's, it was the worst thing they've ever seen. And here's what you can't defend on the, on the broadcast, though. Match day three of the group stage, as those games are winding down, you have no idea who's advancing, who's not advancing. They're given the wrong information. They should have the, the standings, the live table up on the screen Yeah, no, somewhere. I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, that's that, helpful. That was brutal. But That's it, what the Premier League does, right? That's what NBC does, which is awesome. It's what virtually everyone else does. I mean, yeah. almost every other league or broadcast. And, I, I, you know, I'm a big Italian soccer fan, so I follow the players. I don't have a club, per se. Where do you watch your – how do you watch your Serie A? So it's on Paramount, and they're fantastic. Okay, they're great. The, the Paramount has Serie A, and then it also has the European Champions competitions. League, yeah. Yeah, as, Actually, I just read. I don't know who. I, maybe I don't know if it was awful announcing someone else, but I feel like I just saw a headline somewhere that said uh, the Paramount Champions League studio show is the next great studio show. Oh, it's so I, good! Henry is yeah. in there. Um, no, I've watched it. I, yeah, lo- I so love Kate Abdo. I've been a big fan of hers for a long time. I think Henri Carragher and Micah Richards are great together. I'm with you. Yeah, I think that's a great. I think they're excellent. And they're goofballs. They have fun. Goof- like it reminds me. They're of Shaq goofballs, and but they Benny also, but them. they. Yeah. But they also know their stuff. Oh, That's yeah. what makes them good. And like they, Kate, I, I said this for a long time. I wrote this for a long time. And 
it's probably I'm not sure how much Rob Stone loves me because I've written this, but I, I think Kate Abdo should be the should be the lead host of the World Cup, and I've thought this for multiple years now. Um, she's she's so well versed in European soccer. She's great, and she's multilingual. Yeah, like that's just such a weapon, and she should be the face of. Uh, no you, offense, to Rob Stone. I'm, not, I'm not saying he should be doing it too, but he's she's so good at that, and that's what makes the Champions League. Uh, show excellent. I, and, I'm a big fan of hers. And the girl who does the lead for Syria, this girl Poppy, she's great too. Um, she's really good well, too. I'm, so. I'm glad to see. Yeah, I, I know the. I know the, the. Obviously, the executives at CBS slash Paramount, and they do care about soccer. So it does not surprise me that their Syria coverage is good. Yeah, I think I think down down though. I think it's really really yeah. good. I watch I watch I watch it up here in Canada, but I believe it's on uh, the zone, right? No, I think it's on. It's either on TLN or. Or Tavia, I watch okay. it. I watch it in the. Uh, I, I think I watch it in Italian. Oh, okay. I think they're. In, yeah. I think they're on English on the, the zone. Yeah. So I think some of the Italian creators online, they'll be. Po- they'll, I'm thinking to their videos, and I'm pretty sure I see the zone logo on there. Yeah. No, it's good. It's it's. I I um I think it's an excellent. You know, I've listened. They have Inter and AC Milan. They have legit big time teams. Uh, but um, it's a good league. It's actually just a fun league to watch on a on a week-to-week basis because they're so passionate and a lot of shit happens in it, which yeah. is good. Well, it'll be back to the Women's World Cup, though. It'll be interesting to see how the coverage is and also, you know, if they lose the U.S. early or something like that, how does that... Yeah, which they won't, but yes, that, that changes the game. Although they have, they've been they more the vulnerable the last year. They are. They got, they got. I think if they get them through the semis, like viewership-wise, they're fine. Um I find them one. I appreciate that they're they're going to sort of give every game um, its own programming window, etc. I, I find I don't know if you agree with me. I find Lawless a little more tolerable because he's just not surrounded by his boys when it comes to the women's World Cup. Okay, studio. I can buy that. Yeah, I can buy that. Um, he gets more pushback, and the, quite frankly, everybody else around him knows more about the women's game than he he does. So I feel like it's he's a little more tolerable. That said, I, I, again, like I cannot defend Fox's studio coverage. Like I just, I'd be, it, it's just insane to do it because they have not earned the uh, a little uh, that sound there. Yeah, I like that. They, they, they have, uh, they have not earned the right for someone to defend them. I do think that they have, um, they've invested good in broadcast talent, and I think the broadcast talent doing the games will be good. Again, I get that's all subjective. I like John Strong and Stu Holden. I'm fine with them. Um, and I like, you know, the um, Jen Hildreth and some of the other broadcasters that they've chosen for these events. Again, I get that's all subjective. Um, but I think the, the, the broadcast will be good. Um, you know, knock on wood, let's hope the studio is good. You know, Fox isn't dumb. Like, they know that this is, like, an important property for them. They want to be considered the home of the World Cup in the United States. They're not going to cheap out on the Women's World Cup, I don't think, but... You know, I guess I'd say let's see. Let's see when the rubber meets the road. Yeah, and I don't even think they cheaped out on the men's World Cup. It just stunk. So I mean, they, you know, yeah, they no, just uh, have listen, to do better. They, 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 uh, look, they, the, the coverage is so geared towards like I don't even want to say the average fan. It's like it's like it's like it's like treating they to me they just treat soccer viewers too much as kids. Like it's just not an adult broadcast and. They get way over the top on the U.S., you would agree. Oh, it's, yeah. it's either cheerleading or ripping, and you never learn enough about the other teams. And the reason I you know, 
somebody may say, oh, you're just hating on Fox. It's really not the case. Got to remember, I live in another country, so I see, I, I have seen how Canada does World Cup coverage. I have seen how like the BBC has done it. How and is Canada's? How was their coverage? Phenomenal. They, they, okay. they actually, yeah, they, they because they, while they have to focus on the Canadian team, they give equal focus to the to the all the other teams in the tournament. Well, and so, Canada was gone in five minutes, so that helps. Right, yeah. you're correct. Yeah, <laughs> terrible tournament. But I'm saying, like, so they do, like, they give you detailed strategy on how each of the other countries is going to approach a match. Sure. Like, because their commentators have seen these countries, they do, they have done the work. They're not just talking off the top of their head, off the top of their ass. And so, um, you know, you again, you feel like you're getting. Educated by this. The reality is, like, these people exist in the U.S. It's just Fox has, I think, made a decision to revolve that broadcast a lot around Lawless, right? And it's sort of like, a, it's in many ways, it's like a wrestling broadcast, right? You had a heel kind of commentator, right, right. and everybody sort of is reacting to the heel commentator. I think that's that's <laughs> that's, that's how I'd look at it. I like that. Yeah. The Sports Guys are here with Richard Deitch, kind of finishing up. Our longtime friend, uh, been on the show a couple times a year since 2011. One thing I wanted to mention, because uh, April 13th, so well, last week, was the 10-year anniversary of the Yale National Championship in hockey. And oh, I, I've been doing a thing here and there. Joe Davis, part of the reason I had him on was that uh, he called three hockey games ever. And uh, two, the, two of the three, well, the, all three were the regional that Yale won um, 10 years ago. <laughs> no and, uh, of, of course, talking to you, when we look back on that moment, it was maybe a good time to reflect a little bit because I was looking through all my stuff last week, looking at the pictures and all that, and of course it comes to mind the moment that we had uh, together, sort of, I don't know if being viral is the right word or whatever happened. Yeah, no, def- that, yeah. It absolutely is the what, right word. What, yeah. do you, what do you think about and remember about it when you look back? Ten, it's been 10 yeah, years. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I have not thought about it for a while, but I will say uh, Twitter just feels like an entirely different place today. You would agree than it was back then where you could have like a moment where like uh, – yeah, you know, and again, for like the listeners of yours who don't know, like just, you know, off your photo, I asked people to send me a photo if they had of like their single best moment. It's like right. they had a photo basically yeah. of the best moment of their life, single best moment. And it blew up. And like it was incredible yeah. how many yeah. people sent photos. Uh, it got written about in Time Magazine. CNN. It got, uh, CNN, CBS, uh, News. CBS News came yeah. to my house yep. and filmed me. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was insane. I, I think I. I think I was interviewed by every major channel: ABC, Fox, CBS, NBC. CNN called me. Uh, CNN, yeah, it was it was insane. New Haven Register um, called me. Uh, I just, but but again, like the I think the reality is like Twitter back then had far more of these human interest kind of positive moments, right? And like that's just not what that service is today. It was more of a town square, I think, too. Then you know what I mean? It yeah. Was more so of- that that's what when I think about that, and it was cool and an absolute listen. It absolutely game changed my follower count. I, I, I may have gained thirty thousand followers from that at the time, which back then was a lot. Right. Um, Same. I, me, I guess I when I think it. about it, it's it may, it's kind of sad that I think of it this way. I just think that like nothing like that today could happen again because too many people would claim you were doing it for attention, uh, or, yeah. like attention or marketing yeah. reasons, or they would just shit on you. They would be like, "Stop shitting! Stop sending this stuff on my feed." Um, so. Sadly, that's kind of what I think of it. But I, I remember those photos. I, I think one thing, one regret I had is there probably was a good coffee table book that I could have done because I yeah. think all these people would have given me permission to use the photos. Um, but um, it was amazing to see. I think you'd agree with this, right? Yeah. Just how many people had these incredible photos of like the great 
the greatest moment of their life. And I could see a and lot like, of them in my head, like the the runner laying down on the track. Yeah, like uh, I remember there was one where, where there's a woman who sent me her photo. She was running in the airport to meet her boyfriend or husband who had come back from some like war zone. Um, there were many people who sent obviously like the moment where their kids were born. Right. Or uh, the kids there was like a lot of other. This, a lot of sports yeah. ones. There was a kid. There was a kid who sent me one. I think he won a state championship in wrestling. Yep, I like it was that amazing. Yep. Like uh, um, ones like people sent me like their last photo, like with their dad or mom at like a sporting event. It was incredible. I think the thing that was the best, like the attention was great. I- I'm not going to lie. Like it was, you know, it was very good for me professionally because Sports Illustrated thought it was cool, et cetera, blah blah blah. But like the coolest thing was that people actually trusted sending like these moments that were really precious to them, which was just like an amazingly cool thing. And again, I don't think that would ever happen today because I just think we live in a, we live in a different society where people, I don't know if they'd be so apt to just send that. You know what I mean? I, I just, I'm not sure they, yeah, I'm not sure they would way, be comfortable I'm not, doing it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it sucks, but that's, yeah. And that's not necessarily like a criticism of Musk or anybody who owns it today. I just think, yeah, I mean, probably um, even the six world months ago before he owned it, probably maybe the same conversation. No, it not I, I would say if you asked me the same question in 2019, 2018, right. I'd have the same answer. Uh, and I definitely would have the same answer in 2023. But no, I'm glad we experienced that because I think we, if nothing else, uh, will always have this one thing where we like truly went viral on a on a global platform. Yeah. And you know that's not happened to me since. I mean, obviously, I've had a, like a lot of tweets where maybe I've gotten retweeted a lot or something like that, but nothing like that. Nothing that organic. Yeah, and it was it was totally organic, which I think is part part of the key. Yeah, to- yeah. It just it was a fluke. It's yeah. not like we were, who, who could have planned that. You and I were texting. I remember one night about whatever, and you went and looked at my feed because we were talking. I think that's correct. And that's yeah. how you saw the picture, and then you sent it sent out basically the what I had said with the picture with a hat tip, and then we were kind of linked together for it. And you know, it's interesting because I remember Asal Price. I was always trying to talk him into being on Twitter. And the reason at the time that I would give him is, oh, it's so cool and a big game's on. We all kind of watch it together. And, you know, it's like this town square. It's not like that anymore. I would never think to do that now. You know what I it's mean? Like a, yeah. it's, like, it's, like a, it's like an attack square. Now. Yeah, I don't even know like, what it like is. It's like the octagon. I'm losing. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, you can do a 10-hour podcast on why social media and, and particularly Twitter has become what it's become. Um, but... And I think it happened long my, before I, I, Musk too. I don't. Anyway, yeah, I have yeah. my own reasons for it. Uh, yeah, I just I think Musk exacerbated it to be blunt. But you know what he's doing issues, really poorly the, at. Hold on, let me, the issues that Twitter right. had mm-hmm. existed long before. Yeah. Musk. I also think what we've probably discovered now, there's a little house of cards uh, effect on that. The, the the amount of the amount of um, people who are on it, I don't think is close to probably what. Uh, we believed, and I do think a lot of power users and must kind discover of really that kind of dominate the buying process. How many bots are where? How fake it it is? Yeah, but but yeah. I would say this: Do you find the experience better under him? I don't. I find no, it worse. and here's why: because he <laughs> keeps trying to make everything that was free a pay tier now, right? Like yeah, which is so just everything crazy. that was free about it, he wants you to pay for now, and you nobody got, really he, wants I mean, to. Let, yeah, I mean, he overpaid for this. No genius to sort of discover that. The, the problem is that like ultimately it's the content creators that make it valuable right so if you charge them for providing what makes the service the service i think most people are not going to pay like it like if you're a lebron like I, I hate to use him as an example but he publicly sort of came out 
why on earth would LeBron James pay for to be on Twitter? Like you, in right. theory, should it, you should be paying LeBron James, right? Because he's like, he's a person. Well, the idea like, is like to share the revenue somehow, right? For nobody right, to pay. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, just don't use him, like Taylor Swift. Like, you know, you name someone who, you know, any per, any famous person, like, it, and I don't know how to do it. I'm not smart enough to do it. But the real, if you could figure out a way to have like a, where, where you share in the profits with the people who are on the service, that would be the play. Right. Because then you, the you're, you're incentivizing and YouTube them. and those. Yeah, do, that's yeah. right. Because so if you're like LeBron or Kevin Durant or uh, Mike Trout or whatever, like, <laughs> why on earth would you pay this guy money? Like again, like I am provide. If I'm those guys, I'm like, people are coming to your site to see what I have to say. Like so, that's where the value is. To One me. thing I will say in Elon's favor, and I hope it translates to this, is when things he's tried in the past have failed, he, he's gotten off of it. So I'm yes, just kind of yeah. hoping this fails and then he gets off of it because, and another thing is it seems like like accounts like mine, since I'm not paying, I'm getting less visibility than before too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. No, no doubt. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think you're become as successful as that guy without um, understanding um, like trial and error and stuff like that. I, I do think, I mean, again, I don't want to sort of get down the road of this because they'll sure. get into too much politics. I, I think at a base level, he paid way too much for this. And he knew it. And I he knew it. And too. he knew it. Yeah. And I think at a certain point, even if you want to have the power of this platform, which is massive for a singular individual owner, I think like you even if you're Elon Musk, you can't like take losses every year. You know what I mean? Like you gotta yeah. you gotta either figure out a way to I think dump it and just bite the loss that you saw, that you have, or figure out a way to make it profitable. And the problem is I don't know where the road to profitability is anymore for Twitter. Oh, by the way, or a lot of these other social media sure. networks. I just I don't know how you make money off it. Yeah, and he took away the third party apps, which I think was stupid. And he didn't and he, make, and he, he didn't make and his he app lot, any better. And, you know what I mean? He's got too many advertisers who who are ticked at him. Yeah. So that that's a that's a so where I so the problem is like if that's the case, where could your money come from? And that's that's where Twitter Blue came, right? So you're thinking I'm going to get people to subscribe, but like I, I just I don't. You're never going to get people to pay to, for what was free. That's the problem. Yeah, you're, exactly. Yeah, we all know this in the sports media yep. world. Like Once how it's hard free, it been, it's free. Yeah, and if you try how hard to charge, it no. yeah, this is where the athletic. I give them a lot of credit, even though I work there. I give them a lot of credit for actually coming up with a business because, like, they had to overcome the hardest thing ever, which was like you're used to your sports content free. Yep. Now you got to pay, and that's just hard. Like I'm with you on that. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I just. I don't know how you convince, like, I'll just use it like, how, how would you convince a 20 year old that they'd have to pay for TikTok? They wouldn't because it's free. They'll right. just, Correct. once it's free, it's move free. On to the next They'll one. move on to the next yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I'm yeah. with you on that. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know the, I don't know the solution, but, um, you know, I'm glad still, listen, I'm not leaving Twitter and I'm glad it still exists. And on big game nights, there's still nothing better than just scrolling through your feed on that site to see what people have to say. Right. That's true. And it's fun too talking about like oh, imagine this moment with Twitter or that moment with Twitter. Yeah, and like uh, yeah, like, like uh, yeah. The I love assassination the assassination day or something. Yeah, you know? for me the um, the the one that will always stand out that if Twitter existed is the OJ chase. That's oh my the one that god, was it was perfect too. Everyone's yeah. watching TV anyway with the NBA final game. You know, yep. it's summer. I think it was Friday night. Was it Friday night or Thursday? Uh, night? I was at a Sabres game that day, so it was it was either a Friday or Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Wow, wild. All right, Richard Deitch uh, is at The Athletic. You can find him there. 
Uh, please do. They've added some writers the last couple of days. So Jim, my guy, Jim Trotter. I'm sure that hired. I'm Very sure excited. that means there's a code probably. Um, if you're looking to come, <laughs> usually when they hire someone, they throw a code out. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if we're in a deal time, but, uh, <laughs> but Trotter will be a great hire because, uh, we're hiring him to be a columnist. So sure. he's going to be able to sort of offer opinion, which would be great. He'll, that'll be a really, uh, he'll be a good read. And, um, yeah, again, like not to flag wave. I, I do think for like the teams that we really load up on and covering, it's, it's a pretty good deal to have that, you know, you get to basically have 400 beat writers in a sense. And that's a pretty good deal for, for what we charge, I think. Yeah. Like you were saying, like, how did they figure something out? What they figured out was volume, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. All right. I have to pay, but I get all of this stuff. You know, yeah, this, yeah, it's essentially why in um, one place, one app, you know, yeah, which is why I think like Netflix is incredible, right? I mean, you get like all of that stuff, yeah, yeah, all you get all stuff. you got to pay, but you're getting all that stuff, which yeah. is why you know, you as a soccer fan like Paramount Plus, right? Because you feel like you're getting your value for that, yeah, again, all that stuff. And there's cartoons for my daughter to watch on there, and there's exactly. movies, there you go, original programming. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah, my one of my questions I always like to use what what is now considered the uh, de facto in 2023 best wing place in Buffalo. Same as before no, or as anybody? No, does. so it's interesting. So what happened was Duff's now has become what Anchor Bar was, where it got so uh, popular that the backlash came. And depressing. everyone said, oh, you're the, for tourists, that's a tourist trap. Those wings aren't good. Um, they're amazing, by the way, though. Uh, but Gabriel's Gate was always my number one. That's a good place if you're in that area. Um, yeah. The 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 latest emerging contender is this place called Wing Nuts, who got popular thanks to the big cat. Yes. On Barstool. Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard of those guys. It's yep. right down the street from my house. And I'll say this: the prop for me, the problem, they're wings that people who don't live here would like. So I understand why Barstool like them because they're so loaded with breading. They're almost, <laughs> okay. they're almost that's, like that, yeah. if Hooters that's made not my really favorite good kind of wings. Way, yeah. yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. But they're good, and, and they're very popular. I think they, I mean, the power of Barstool, holy shit. Um, yeah, they can, they can, they can, they can, they can game change a food item in a certain city. And I they agree did that. for that. And then there's this place in South Buffalo called the 911 Tavern. Yeah, I've big, heard of that. And Barbell. Those are kind of the big ones. Okay. All right. So, that's good. I mean, those, but the biggest so, yeah. change is wing nuts coming it's du- it's in and, and the Duff's backlash. They're I'll always, that. I'll, I'll stay loyal to Duff's because that when I went to UB, it's my the, favorite. The, Sher- the Sheridan one is like was our place. Um, that's the best one. But too. that doesn't surprise me because I know you know once you start chaining a little bit and getting multiple. Uh, yeah, and stores, not every location is as good as the original. Yeah, yep. yeah, that. Yep. But yeah, I, I will say even today to this day when like a. Uh, Sports network comes in and just profiles the ankle bar. It's so annoying. It's just such so indicative. Of, yep. Like not the not the best wings in the city by far. No, just first. That's that's what they. That's yeah, just first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing it. Um, I'm sure you'll be back soon. Um, yeah, great to be back on. Make sure you get uh, in 2023. You know, Wertheim and Price and some of the yeah. other people I'll, who've been on. I'll the get show my before. guys. I always get my guys. Price has got a lacrosse book coming. He does. Yeah. I know. He's very excited about that. Mr. Europe, uh, Wertheim has got this and that and the other thing. So. He's got he's got a uh, George Clooney documentary. Yes. Or, no, George Clooney film. He's part of on Ohio State. Ohio right? State, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's yeah. – uh, yeah, Wertheim is easily 
I mean, I've worked with a lot of successful people, but I think he's the most successful person I've worked with. I mean, he's, on, he's on 60 freaking minutes. Yeah, he's, his career is just incredible. And he ha- he's a great guy and could not have been more supportive of me. So I only wish... You uh, know what I think the turning point was for him? And Price, too. The, yeah, go the ahead. turning point for worth that when he wrote about me. Could be. I think that, that was, was just good, a rocket uh, ship. You know what I mean? When he piece. made that call. You want me to give you, you, want to, uh, you, want me to give you a, good, uh, <laughs> sure. a good guy to have on? I'm not sure if you ever had him on. Sure. Uh, two guys from the old school. Have right. you had Jack McCallum or Michael Farber on? Have yeah. Those two guys? Uh, McCallum is awesome. I've had him on a bunch of times. He's great. Farber came on one time, and <laughs> Pavel Bure wasn't in the Hall of Fame yet, and I kind of complained about that a little bit too much. I don't think he's ever coming back. <laughs> but <he's, laughs> I don't think two, he appreciated those two, that. Those two guys are, are They're good. good. They're both for, really uh, good. McCallum is awesome. And his book, yeah. Dream Team, is one of – because I do books. I, I It's a way to get people on here. Yeah, he's, I think he's coming out with something. I, I, he, you should check his feed. I, I yeah, forgot I what it is, but I'm pretty sure he's coming out with something soon. Dream Team is the like top in, in my top five sports books since I've been doing yeah, this. No, his, yeah, no, uh, his uh, reporting for SI from the 92 team is incredible. Yeah. It's just so great. All right, man. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Be well. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the show. That was awesome. Thank you, Richard. Love having my man on the show. All right, book club update real quick, and it's an easy one. Nothing new. Uh, the same four books we talked about last year let's, or last week. Excuse me. Let's go through them. So I'm a mush mouth here. Uh, LeBron, Jeff Benedict's book. Um... Jeff Benedict uh, wrote with Armin Katayan the Tiger Woods book called Tiger a few years ago, one of my favorite books in the history of the book club. Then he wrote The Dynasty uh, about the New England Patriots, and now he's back with LeBron. Uh, I've seen someone, I'm trying to think of who, on Twitter mention that they read it and how great it was. I'm pissed I can't remember who it was. Someone outside of the sports world, I feel like. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to have Jeff on soon to talk about it, LeBron. Uh, it's available now. I've talked about this one a few times. The Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. I'm going to try to reach out to Kirk, see if we can get him on. But if not, we're going to move on past that one. Uh, but it is a beautiful book, like I said. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to have Jack Curry on the show. Talking about his book, The Inside Story of the Greatest Baseball Team Ever, the 1998 Yankees. Jack Curry, again, is the author of that one. 12 books. Shout out to Steph. With 12 books for sending me this uncorrected proof. It's always cool when you get the uh, unreleased ones. And speaking of 12 books, uh, they were good enough to also send me Cage Kings by Michael Thompson. How an unlikely group of moguls, champions, and hustlers transformed the USC into a $10 billion industry. This book is pre-sale. It comes out 6 2023 We'll have Michael around then. And since they got it to me so early, they're going to get a shit ton of plugs. Because uh, I'll be talking about it till June uh, when we talk to Michael about it. So 
uh, Cage Kings, the 1998 Yankees, uh, the Voices of Baseball, and Jeff Benedict's LeBron. That's the book club where we stand right now. Uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk with three of the best dudes uh, that I've met in a long time. Andrew Miller, Kenny Agostino, and Jesse Root from the 2013 National Champion, Yale Bulldogs. Grand Rapids, we welcome you back with Sean Richland, Joe Davis. What are you looking for in this OT? Well, Minnesota has the energy from the third period. You'd think that they would come out in the first few minutes and try to put this game away because they have the momentum and the energy. If it goes more than five minutes in this overtime, then I think it goes into Yale's favor a little bit as they can uh, sit back uh, in the first five minutes and bounce back and then come back uh, aggressively after the first five. But Minnesota definitely has the edge right now. Playing in an overtime game, and especially on this scale, what's it like inside the minds of the goaltenders? Well, they know that they got to be sure. If they're, if they're going to have any opportunity to freeze a puck, freeze it. If they're going to have a chance to deflect the puck in the corner, they got to do it. Here's a chance, and a score! Yale has done it! Well, I said they were going to score in the first minute, but I had the wrong team. Yale comes out and shocks everyone with a goal in the first minute. These games have a tendency to do this when they get an opportunity to put the puck into the net. In the first minute, the Bulldogs come off of the overtime and bury it to take the first game in the regional. It's Kenny Agostino who started the scoring way back in the second period to win it. Nine seconds into the overtime session. It was it happened so fast. No one in the building even knew what was going on. Incredible response by Yale after a tough, tough third period. Here he is on the forecheck. Kenny Agostino gets in here. Puck comes around, a quick shot. And the goal is buried by Jesse Root. That was Jesse Root. As he Roo. buries it for the Bulldogs. What a huge goal. That line was fantastic all night, weren't they? Miller, Root, and Kenny Augustino. They just had a phenomenal game. But the four-check, Augustino gets in. Root left all alone, and there's nothing Wilcox can do. All right, our next guest today made up the top line for the 2013 National Championship winning Yale Bulldogs from Michigan, Andrew Miller from New Jersey, Kenny Agostino, and of course, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the main man, Jesse Root. What's going on, Andrew? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's nice to get back together and, and catch up. Where are you in the world today? Currently Detroit at the moment. Detroit. I grew up here in Detroit, yeah. kind of switching gears from hockey to the working world. So hanging out with the family and uh, and uh, switching things up. Very nice. Very nice to be in Detroit. Kenny Agostino, my my, my you, paisan. Buddy? How's it going, buddy? All good, buddy. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, you're down in Florida? Just home from Russia? Yep. yep. Just got home from Russia, uh, down in Florida. Uh Resting from the season with the family and enjoying the sun right now. Very nice. And uh, 
the fastest goal scorer in Yale hockey. What's up, Jesse Root? How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. It's good to have you. So five years ago, when it was the five-year anniversary of the championship, we got together. I did a four-part thing, and it turned out really, really well, and a lot of people still will mention that they listen to it and like it in the Yale world out there, but you guys were all on separate shows, so I thought it would be fun to get what Barry Melrose called the, the, the best line in college hockey that year. Those are Barry's words. Um, get you guys together and and reminisce a little bit uh, a little bit about the year. Uh, Andrew, you were you know a senior that year and um, going into your last year at Yale and and the the three years before, especially the your freshman and sophomore, you were very very successful years uh, for the team. What what do you remember thinking about the team and the team's prospects and what the year was going to be like? when you guys got together in New Haven in September and started to put the ice in and started to practice, what, what was kind of your general feeling and general vibe just going into the season? Um, I think just in, in general, our, uh, our coaching situation uh, was so good uh, with Keith and Red and um, Muse? Dan Muse. Yeah. I, I think uh, just having them behind the bench – uh, it was so important for us to be able to kind of grow from whatever September till the end of the year. And we had, we always had good talent. Um, and I think adding, knowing that they were there for the, for the beginning of the year was, uh, really gave us a shot at almost any game. And, uh, we really believe that. So I think building on the, the three previous years that you were talking about, uh, my freshman and sophomore year and, Jesse and Kenny joined my sophomore year. We were good. We were really good. Yeah. We beat everybody. Um, we were pretty unstoppable. And my freshman year as well. And we uh, ended up losing in the tournament. But we were definitely with every every team. So kind of knowing that we could beat anybody um, in the tournament and uh, you just need to bring in your game, I think, was, was good for us. Jesse, something everybody always talks about every season when it starts is kind of the the catching up that the Ivy League teams have to do because you start a little bit later. You know, everyone in your conference has usually played some games before you do. I know um, they're trying to they're trying to work against that the last few years they've been doing like where all the teams go together and somewhere and play a few games over the weekend. So at least they're starting off against the Ivy teams and things like that. But what did you remember about the preseason and sort of fighting that and kind of getting the year rolling? Um that year yeah I, I actually think it started even prior to that um andrew was mentioning uh you know our our first year when we were uh, i think first in the country for a while and then the next year we had uh, a talented team um lost some really good players and graduated still had a good team but underachieved a little bit um and i think we lost in the second round uh, of the ECA season <laughs> that that spring I'm sure uh, Andrew and Kenny you remember this but that was one of the hardest uh, springs uh, of training that we we ever had and I think that really brought us even further together as a group um, and really conditioning wise I think uh, you know got us into a place where we hit the ground uh, running in in the fall when we got back to campus a lot of guys stayed over the summer right. um, that year too and I think that really 
made a difference. Um, so I just think, you know, from a team perspective, we were as close as we ever were off the ice and on. Um, and then we brought in a really good group of freshmen uh, who we, we didn't really know how they would all slot in, but they all grew to play really meaningful roles um, throughout the year and critical roles, especially in the, uh, in the national tournament. So I, I think it really even started before that year. Um, and then as Andrew said, with the, with the coaching addition of, uh, of red uh, Gendron, um, a great, great guy. One of the best coaches I've ever had. He really solidified our defense, which I think you know, really helped us ultimately win. And that was the, uh, you know, the, the, the turning point. I think where we really uh, jumped off and never looked back. Since we're talking about Red right now, he's one of the guys that you know is no longer with us, and obviously rest in peace, Red. But did you guys see the um, the Bruins goalie the other night? Sort of pay tribute to him after the win. I thought that was a really nice moment. Did any of you guys see that? I didn't see that. No, uh, not Allmark, but their other goalie. I can't think of his name. Swayman. 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 Yeah, he he had a, a particularly good game, and um, I guess it was five years or however many years. Maybe I have the years wrong. It was whatever many years to the day that Red had passed away, and he basically had pointed to the sky at the end of the game, I guess. And the reporter had asked, you know, what that was about, and he said, "Oh, my mentor and the most important person in my career. You know, this was the the anniversary of." the last time I seen him or whatever the specifics for the personal moment of it, but just made you like show that his legacy is still impacting players in the game today. I guess we can start with you, Ken, but maybe if anyone else wants to jump in after, does anyone have a specific feeling or thought or moment about red um, that they want to touch on? I I mean, that just gave me goosebumps hearing that, but I'll send um, you guys the clip. I'll I'll send you guys a clip. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, A specific moment. I don't know. Just, he was such a special guy and almost like larger than life kind of figure. Lit up a room um, every time you saw him. He always had a, a, like some kind of like interesting question to ask you when you when you shook his hand. And he had these huge meat uh, bear paws for hands, and he, it felt like he was trying to break your hand every time you shook your hand. But um, yeah, it's kind of just to touch on what what Andrew and Ruder said. Just he was an unbelievable coach and, and a better guy, and, and we all miss him for sure. Andrew, you were the captain that year. I'm, I'm sure you, you maybe worked a little bit closer with the coaches. Or maybe it's even an opportunity to talk about what it's like to be Yale captain and and what that interaction is like between even whether it's Red or Keith, who, you know, Keith is notoriously quiet or, diff, you know, a much different person to play for than to know after you play. I know he tends to open up then a little bit, but. What about being the captain and working with the coaches and whether that's a red story or, or something to do with Keith or what was, what was that responsibility like for you? I think kind of what, what both of the guys said kind of encapsulates uh, the person that he was. He was always energetic and no matter the situation, kind of looking to improve um, himself and others around him. He, I think he was really interested in making sure um, – the college kids were were better humans from being around him, so that really kind of showed in his in his coaching, but also his off ice work with people. And he really wanted to learn about what interests guys had and um, really expand their minds through whether it's books or conversations. So uh, he truly was was an awesome guy. Uh, dealing with the coaches in general, yes, as a captain, you um, you talk with the coaches a bunch more, but um, with that, you're obviously responsible for for more of the team. So, uh, 
I don't think it's it's much different than than being a captain elsewhere, but uh, the concept of Yale's history of just having one captain right. uh, definitely um, is, is an awesome uh, attribute and and a really cool honor to hold. So um, you definitely want to compete and then do everything you can to make your, your team successful. How would you describe if I said the word leadership group? Like what when you think of that team? Obviously, you were the captain, but were there other leaders within the locker room that you kind of leaned on? And there's no official, you know, A's in the room. Like you said, Yao has the one captain every year. But what what was the if, if you took us into the room? What was the leadership like? The leadership group like there? I think it's it's a group leadership with any college team. I think there's always a social aspect, a school aspect, and a, and a highly competitive group at Yale. So I think being able to, to capture that and having a bunch of guys at each at each class kind of stepping up and holding each other accountable. So more so not a direct result of this, but um, the culture that Keith instills really just um, requires everyone to compete at their highest level and play at their highest level. So um, the culture of Yale hockey really establishes um, responsibility, and um, that way the, the older class uh, doesn't have to do as much. You kind of just join the culture as a freshman, and um, either you're a part of it or you're not, and the ones that aren't kind of get left behind. So everyone kind of bands together for the most part. Interesting. For me, when I look back to this season, I think the moment I knew it was a different team than maybe the year before was when you guys went to Colorado for Thanksgiving. And um, it was, a, I think, a good time over a holiday. You guys are together. You're in a different state. Um, and the two games were close games against, you know, um, it gives you a chance to measure yourself outside the conference and Kenny, you started the weekend off with the Yager salute after the overtime goal uh, against um, against Denver. The uh, m- my point of saying I think that this was a weekend that the team really stepped forward and said we can beat anyone in the nation. Here we are. Would you agree or disagree with that? And what do you re- what do you remember, Kenny, about the trip to to Colorado over Thanksgiving? Yeah, I remember it. Uh, it was an unbelievable trip to go out there and get two wins against. Two great teams. I mean, it w- was that Air Force or CC the second team that trip? CC. Balls, okay. So, Balls, she got the overtime goal in that game. Okay. So two great teams and on the road, it's never easy. But, but kind of what what Andrew and Ruder were saying earlier, how it was a building from a couple of years ago where, where that, that our freshman year, like we, we were so good and – uh, like Andrew said, to get a win in the tournament, you, you, you realize at that point you, you can beat anyone in the country. And I think you're right, though, that that trip going out there and getting two big wins kind of solidified what we already believed in ourselves, that we can play with anyone and we can beat anyone. And to get two on the road like that was huge, I think. Jesse, what do you remember about that trip? <laughs> I remember we had – it was Thanksgiving and we had uh... – this is off ice, um, and, and a lot of my memories are off ice now, um, which is kind of cool. But um, uh, we had—I don't know if you guys remember this—but we had Thanksgiving dinner at an outdoor um, rink that was set up um, by another great guy that we lost, Wayne Dean. And I just remember everybody kind of really coming together 
Um, and I think that was before uh, we had even played the game. We, uh, we had a practice out there. Um, and I just remember it being a really, really fun moment for all of us to share a meal. And, you know, we're away from our families for Thanksgiving. And you know, you're really with your second family and the, and the team and the, the staff and the program. And so uh, that just kind of carried over onto the ice. But, yeah, I remember Kenny's goal. I still see it. Uh, actually, there's a commercial on NHL Network that uh, – that shows it. Um, so that's a good memory, but yeah, I, I think like Andrew and, and Kenny said, you know, we, I think we, uh, the experiences that we had the prior years really felt like we could beat anyone. And then specifically, I think we, we felt that we matched up pretty well against, um, the, I think it was the old WCHA at the time. Um, and we just felt that our brand of hockey, uh, translated pretty well. And those were, those were two hard fought games, but I think we did carry, carry the play for the majority of the time and so i i think it was just that combination of confidence um and and really not going out there as an underdog but really i think you know we went out there expecting to win um and and did so and uh, you know not only was that big i think from a confidence standpoint again but but also from the pairwise perspective those were two really good teams absolutely um at the time so you know without those those wins i'm not sure we get into the tournament yeah. yeah, I think I have a little bit more to add onto that. Because, sure, go for it. Um, the first three years, I mean, the ECAC was a good league, and it was highly competitive. But I think our my senior year when we won, the ECAC went maybe it was either seven and two or eight and two in the tournament. Yeah, they, and, and, and the one loss was against each other, right? Because yeah, one loss, Quinnipiac yeah. beat Union, yeah. and we beat Quinnipiac. So. Um, our league was so so competitive and so good that playing some of these other teams who are maybe more highly sought after that don't come and play teams in our league was some of the games were honestly easier than than um, most would expect. Maybe just that's because the hype or whatever it may be, but um, we expected to win every game. Yeah, Kenny called them the WNHL teams on the last, when we did this at the five year mark. Uh, the, another, I think, huge one was the the BC game at BC just after New Year's. There was like seven thousand people in that rink, which is the biggest crowd of the year until the tournament. And you guys sort of let him off the hook at the end. Probably should have won that game. It's a three three tie in the end. I know Dewitt got his one and only college goal there. Um, but uh, that's another trip, another example of that, right? Kind of like showing teams from other leagues that the ECAC is for real. And uh, and and we're one of the best teams in it, right? Ken, do you remember th- anything about BC? Yeah, yeah, you kind of said it. I mean, that's that's another game where I think we probably should have won, to be honest. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. but, the two late goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually remember that. Were, I think were they two breakaways? It was one was Kreider. At least one was Kreider, right? If not both. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless, right. what Ruger said is like, uh, well, I forgot about that, and it's such a great point. Like. Our, especially, you know, those three or four years where we had so much talent, our style matched up so well against those teams that had, you know, whatever, the high-end college prospects or that, that, uh, that they kind of built their team around just talent, where we were a really talented team that worked our asses off. And we played such an in-your-face, high-tempo style that was miserable for any team to play against. And the ECAC in general was like, had a little more grind and high-end pace and and grit to it. So I think you, you combine that with how talented we were and how deep we were. Like, I think we were a nightmare for those top teams that wanted an easy, more skilled game. 
So, yeah, that, I, I remember that trip. I remember Dewey's goal, actually. I think it was, like, top left or top right, right from the point to, like, a high screen. Yeah, Anthony uh, had the screen. Anthony had the screen on that one. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, pretty yeah. Pretty standard. Yeah, pretty standard <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I remember that, that, that Moose Dewey scored and uh, game we should have won. But, well, uh, other than that, I don't remember much else about that game. I find myself fascinated by Colin Duick because I, I never met him, never saw him in person. You know, I always talk to my brother, like, does anyone, who knows him? Like, I don't know. Yeah, fascinating. You should see him chug a gallon of milk. <laughs> milk, huh? All right. Well, oh, yeah. Duick can chug milk. Interesting. Does anyone know Colin Duick in the real world in 2023? That's what I thought. Yeah, I think he's, he's living in Calgary. Calgary. Um, yeah. Has a wife and kid and. He's a super nice guy, really, really nice guy. What a guy! Um, Got his big, yeah, back, big goal. I was just going to say, and back to your uh, question of leadership. I mean, I think there are lots of different ways to lead, but I think we had a, a lot of different leaders that that year, and uh, definitely throughout my four years. But but Colin was one on the back end where he was, you know, really steady, really, really quiet, but you always knew what you were going to get. And he was always really hard to play against in practice, so I could imagine what what it was like for the other team, and I think that that brand and that type of leadership you know extended and and younger guys certainly learned from it but lots of different ways to lead and i think he was one right and i always say he had to be unbelievably important because outside of him then you have goss jr and then very young defensemen after that you know what i mean so i think to have his his steadiness and you know leadership on an otherwise very young decor i'm sure that was very important um February, you guys are more after the BC game. You guys like go on a tear. You win one, two, three, four, five, five, six of the next seven, and then Malcolm gets hurt, and you go into a bit of a spin. And I, re- I always remember this time because I was in the hospital at this time, and I remember getting a call from Anthony and him saying like, "Oh, he's miserable, and it's the first time he's ever questioning himself, and everyone on the team is miserable, and everything's going so bad." And that's when, I guess, in our family, I kind of famously said to him, like, everything will be fine. You guys will be in Pittsburgh, and I'll meet you there. We'll both be there. Don't worry about it. But what do you guys kind of remember about Malcolm getting injured um, and kind of this time and kind of uh, the the adversity and, and the probably the character it built? But what do you remember about it most, Andrew? Kind of this tough stretch, two Quinnipiac games. I remember the one you guys were even ahead, two to nothing, like right away. The, the And that was actually the first one. Uh, in in New Haven, and then lose that game, but tough stretch, right? Definitely the grind of the ECAC, kind of what we spoke to earlier. It's a good league, and um, you need everybody uh, on your team to be healthy and and able to compete. So a few games we should have won, and a few games that we might have won that um, we could have easily lost. So I think that just speaks to the competitiveness of of the league, and also teams that go through those situations really need to be able to kind of band together and, and stay focused and get better each week. And I think that's uh, a testament to the coaches as well. And it's an interesting time of the season too, because you guys, you know, you win six or seven after new year, we get into a little bit of an up and down here and you have the losses and then Malcolm comes back. And as soon as he does, you win five in a row, including the first round of the playoffs against St. Lawrence, which I'm not sure they even touched the puck that weekend. But the one game we get, we have to mention before we get into the meat of this is the Colgate win in overtime. Balch again wins a game in OT. And 
at the last second, a goal that in retrospect, and I know we're cherry picking here, but in retrospect, if he doesn't score this goal, probably don't make the tournament. The pairwise was that close at the end. You could probably say that about any of the overtime games, but let's focus on this one since it's more dramatic. But he scores in the last second. Anthony told me Elaine had already taken his gum out and it flew over his head and landed on the ice. Um, it was a broken stick, I think. Maybe even yours, Andrew. You might have told me that. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But Jesse, let's get you in the mix. What do you remember about one of uh, Josh Bulch's many heroic moments in the season and this famous Colgate game at the end of the year on March 1st? Did Bulch score any other goals besides uh, game game winners? (laughs) (laughs) Not Mr. Overtime. Overtime. Yeah, I I remember kind of the similar thing that you mentioned with with Anthony. Um, I kind of, I actually don't think I watched the goal go in. I think it was what in the last literally two two or three seconds of the game. No, the last and, second. Yeah, the last second. And so it, it uh, I, I remember just kind of looking away and getting ready to go shake hands, and then saw uh, everybody celebrating. So I, <laughs> pretty 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 crazy to look back on. But yeah, I don't I don't even remember seeing uh, seeing ball score. Andrew, was I right about that? Was that your stick? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, it was just quite a quite a fateful. Uh, point for our season and Bulch obviously another leader we could speak of who was always competitive and playing with a broken hands absolutely massive goals for us so um, he was a huge part of why we won yeah playing one-handed too with a broken hand um the like I said the first round against in New Haven against St. Lawrence just unbelievable domination maybe two of the best games you guys played all year um unbelievable tempo just rolling the four lines it felt like great rhythm everyone clicking and then you get to uh, Atlantic City and maybe more of what Andrew said just the grind of the ECAC maybe caught up a little bit bad game against Union kind of a meaningless seemingly meaningless game um, against Quinnipiac that puts you guys kind of in dire straits and and on the bubble as they say but Ken what happened in in, in, in Atlantic City you think well well, the dumbest thing in the world. I think they took it out after our year. They did. It was the consolation yep. game, right? Like, yep. So the first game, whatever, it was a tough game against Union. They were a good team, like you said. We we think, I mean, I think we played in the most competitive league in the country. So Yeah, they yeah, beat I mean, BC in the tournament. You know? There you go. Yeah. So you lose the game to Union, whatever. We should be going home comfortably in the pairwise. We have to play a dumb third-place game where it means absolutely nothing but can – screw over an ECA team to getting into the tournament, which it almost did. So, um, yeah, that's all. That's what happened, really. I don't think there's anything else to say about it. Just one tough game where we lost the Union and then a stupid third-place game. So that puts you guys on the bubble. And I remember a lot of people went to Buffalo Wild Wings. I have a great picture of it. You guys in kind of like a private room at the Buffalo Wild Wings watching the Michigan-Notre Dame game. And essentially, it's the last game of the year. It's the last game of that the history of that conference. Um, because Notre Dame would go the next year and, and, and many teams to the to the Big Ten. That's like kind of where college hockey realignment starts. And by the way, the Big Ten made those moves that year, still haven't won the title since they did all that. But um you guys are at Wild Wings. Andrew, I think famously you were not there, right? You hid in the dark or something, you couldn't even watch. Do I have that right? I was probably studying or starting some company or, you know, doing something. Doing crazy Yale stuff. Cool like that, yeah, so. doing Yale stuff. What do you guys? Re- what do you guys remember about Wild Wings and and kind of and history too? 
Notre Dame obviously wins and you guys make it. It ends a 23-year streak in the tournament um, for Michigan. But what do you guys remember about just watching the game and what it feels like to be on the bubble like that? Um, I, yeah, I remember it was pretty cool just to test how close of a team we were. That we, I think we had everyone other than Andrew who was studying, obviously. Um, but we had a lot of guys in there watching, and it was really stressful. But looking back, that it ended up turning out in our favor was a really fun, cool thing. And actually, I'd appreciate it if you sent me that picture. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll send um, it to you for sure. It's a great picture. Yeah, but and ended up being you know a great moment. And uh, yeah, oh Notre Dame did their job right. We got into the yeah. tournament. Yeah, I was um, I had had surgery, and I had I had a like I had an infection. Then after the surgery, and I had to have. Um, a wound, like wound care. And I remember I had a nurse come in the middle of the game. We went into my bedroom and we were in there for a while. She was doing whatever. And I remember thinking like, okay, I have to open the door now and see what happened in this game. And I remember talking to the nurse about it. Like, what do you think? You know, good news, bad news. She's like, oh, I think it's going to be fine. She had no clue, obviously. I remember just opening the door really slow and looking out. And the first thing I seen was the Notre Dame goalie, who for whatever reason in my mind was like a shorter goalie. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what I picture this kind of shorter goalie holding the trophy over his head. Uh, and I knew it was good news and that there would be tournament games to play. And you guys would do that in Grand Rapids. You travel out west. You play Minnesota. Uh, Ken, you would get the scoring going early. 2 nothing lead. Feeling comfortable. Third period, not as good. Um, and you go into uh, overtime. And then there's the big goal, which I want to talk about uh, now. Um, Kenny, start us off. So take me through um, the face-off to, to the moment you touch the puck in the corner. Um, yeah, one thing about the face-off, which uh, is like an unbelievable testament for Red, was uh, he, he was he told me, I don't know if it was right before overtime, but he, he told me earlier in the game where something so simple, but before a face-off when wingers are you know, shoulder on shoulder, he told me to spin off because, every time they were getting inside position on me. So I don't know if I was doing it earlier, but I remember him saying it that game. And I remember I spun off, which got me to get a really fast jump on the, on the puck. Uh, I was able to just kind of hack Marshall's hand or stick. It was clean, obviously. Um, and then he fumbled the puck. And uh, as I'm turning the corner, I see Ruder and, uh, you know, he did the rest really. Andrew, what did you see? off the draw and, and into that moment where Kenny's about to pass it out to, to Rue. What was kind of your vantage point? I think that I kind of took four or five of their guys out of the play. Just a big so play at center Ken, there for you? Yeah. Ken and Jesse uh, could get in there. and uh, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of perfect because the timing Jesse came down was, was perfect. The angle for Ken to give a good pass. And I think it kind of stunned the goalie because he wasn't sure or aware of uh, any shooters in the slot there. So I think I also remember it coming off Jesse's stick so quick that um, I don't know what flex he uses, maybe like 40 or something, but um, <laughs> it was it was a really, really good opportune goal. And I think we had played so well throughout the whole game that we were, I think both those games in Grand Rapids, we outshot those teams by an insane number. Um so it was nice to get rewarded for that. All right, Jesse, tell me about it. Just a lot of wrist curls uh, skills. Nothing to do with the flex. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they did. Uh, well, I think Andrew and Kenny covered it pretty well. I mean, the only thing I would add is um, 
I, that was about the cleanest face-off loss uh, of my career. I think Nick <laughs> Nick Bukestad just snapped it back, and <laughs> I don't even think I touched his stick or the puck. Um, and he had he had gotten me pretty good all game, and obviously he was big big guy and has had a really good NHL career. But um, yeah, just after I lost the draw, I kind of went to went to the four checking spot, and Ken uh, Ken well and Andrew of course did did the rest. He almost got there, though, huh? Is it, every time I watch it, I like get nervous. It's gonna hit his glove or something somehow. Um, not really. Didn't really kind of get there, but it seems like every time I watch it, he gets a little bit closer for some reason. I've I've watched it hundreds of times, but unbelievable win. You guys roll right into North North Dakota. North Dakota changed goalies in between the two games. I still never really found out the reason why they did that. And the goalie that they put in for the second game, he was really dominating. The game, the first two periods, you guys were all over them. There was a disallowed goal by North Dakota early, if you guys remember that. Um, and then they got the one that did count. And then finally, Anthony Stu and Josh broke the tie. Good play by Anthony to get it on net. And Josh playing with one hand, all taped up, was able to bang home the rebound. And then, Jesse, you scored the game winner on the power play. What do you remember about that goal? I actually don't remember a whole, whole lot about that one either. Spin, you kind of uh, spun and shot, right, I think? Kind of, yeah, kind yeah. I think I think Andrew got got the puck somehow, and I I uh, was feeding behind him, and yeah, just turned around and and shot. I knew we, uh, I think the power play was winding down um, at that point, but yeah, just tried to shoot quick. I mean, that was another thing that Red Red said uh, to us, and we always worked on um, with with him after practice. So we, it was just kind of a uh, a lucky goal too. It just went went far side and. Uh, yeah, happy, happy it went in. Let me ask you guys this about this real quick because through this weekend and then as the me- the media, you get more and more media and you go to the Frozen Four and a lot of talk became about your line. Obviously, 10 years later when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I thought it'd be really fun to get the line together. What do you guys remember about how it came together that you guys were lined? Andrew, I think we talked last time. I thought I had heard something about maybe because of the health of your knee. It was easier for you to play winger. You, I think you debunked that though. You know, they said on the on the broadcast it was an act of self, self selflessness by you to move over. Andrew, what do you remember kind of about the line being put together, and why do you think it seemed to click so well? Um, well, it clicked so well is because we were such phenomenal friends. I think um, good, two good guys to play with. Uh, Jesse had played a lot of center. That was his, um, I think, natural spot for to play between Ken and I. And I think um, it gave he was able to give Ken and I a little bit of space and uh, play with a little bit of speed. So um, it was a switch for me, but um, also super fun just because of playing with those two guys. Ken, I think I remember early in the season, maybe Weberg playing a couple games in between you guys. I feel like it it switched a little bit before it settled on on you three. What do you remember about the line kind of coming together and why you think it worked so well? I think we tried a few different combinations throughout the year. Um, yeah, I think for a while, because I think Andrew and Ruder were our two best centers. So I think maybe we were separating them for a while, but ultimately Keith tried us three together, and it, I think it clicked pretty instantly, and I mean, why is I think just because we all kind of, again, we were all really close off the ice and we all kind of brought our own, our own element to the line in a different way, but 
the same at the same time. I think we all kind of had the same idea of how we wanted to play. Um, and we just, we had really good chemistry and we just meshed really well. Like Ruder was obviously great down the middle. And, like Andrew was so smart and not every center can move to wing that easily. And he did it so easily. Um, and we just, we just kind of clicked and, and just, it, it was just, you know, it, the, the testament to a good line is when it, you, you never feel like you're forcing anything. It just all comes, not effortless, but it kind of feels that way sometimes. And that's kind of what I remember about our line. It just felt like you never have to overthink anything or force anything. It just was kind of always there because of how well we meshed together. Yeah, and that leads us to the Frozen Four. Jesse, a homecoming for you, which Butcher Grass made sure everyone knew um, quite often during the weekend, the Pittsburgh native. And the interesting thing about your line, I think, as it pertains to the Final Four, is that when the overtime goal is scored, and Andrew, I'll, I'll get your perspective in a second on it, though. Jesse, you're dehydrated or something, and on the bench, and it was Carson Cooper who was out there at that moment, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, I was I was cramping pretty bad, and it started in the end of the second period and uh, continued on to the third. But I had uh, popped my shoulder out against RPI earlier in the year and had to wear a shoulder brace, which was basically like a scuba suit uh, at the time. And so it was really... Uh, wasn't breathable at all, and so that just forced a lot of uh, uh, a lot of sweat and and lost a lot of uh, fluids. Um, so yeah, I was cramping pretty bad um, throughout the end of the game, and uh, and I I think I came off the shift early um, and was cramping on the bench when uh, when Andrews scored. But yeah, Carson Carson came out and 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 did a great job. Andrew, this is a huge moment here because. Hellybook was trying to steal this game, right? I mean, they hadn't had a shot. I think it's the last eight minutes of the third or at all in overtime. And I remember sitting there as a spectator thinking about how long it had been since they had a shot and just dreading like, okay, they're going to get one shot. You know what I mean? And it's going to somehow go in or something like that. Um, And I was just hoping that we could break through sooner than later before that would happen. But what do you remember most about the goal? Kind of getting Hellybook to... To open up, and then even before that, you kind of catch the defenseman in between steps. It almost looked like he wanted to step forward, and then decided, "Oh, I better back up," and you just kind of blow by him. But what do you remember about about the getting the the pass, and you know, right around center ice there, and then making your your way in and and, and the goal, and right through the corner and the celebration and all that. Yeah, I think being able to to get the puck with a little bit of speed, and Ken always says this: it doesn't look like I'm I'm moving very fast, but I think it's deceptive sometimes um especially in the neutral zone but able to catch a guy flat-footed and as you spoke to earlier we we were really kind of dominating and controlled the game but uh, their goaltending was was also really standing up to the task and we were able to to put one away and and i think malcolm was was phenomenal throughout that game as well uh, he made some unbelievable saves but um, being able to score in overtime was was phenomenal feeling, and I think it was good for not only our team and coaching staff, but also like the Yale community. I think it really rallied behind us, and it was it was a phenomenal feeling to win with those guys. Bow and arrow, just all instinct, or did you have that one tucked away for a special moment? <laughs> I think just instinct. Just instinct. Just instinct. It was it's a it's a it's a legendary celebration will live on forever in Yale lore for sure. Uh, I remember afterwards because you guys were the early game. Ken, I think I have a picture of you sitting in the crowd watching the second game. Uh, Jesse, you might be there too. I don't know. Some of you guys watched. Some of you guys went back. Whatever. 
But I, I, I feel like the general consensus was you guys wanted to play Quinnipiac in that second game, right? Yeah, 100%. I just think, uh, I mean, the obvious is it's pretty hard to beat a team four times in a row that year. We right. got our, you know, our clocks clean, but it, it felt like, I think two of them wasn't with Malcolm, right? Correct. So, yep. Um, and one was a third place game, which I think Malcolm's played in that one, I believe, but right. um, it was a third place game in Atlantic City. That's all you got to say about it. So, yeah, we were fired up to play them. Um, and obviously, you know, with the rivalry, uh, a little bit of bad blood maybe between the two teams. But, uh, yeah, we thought it was a great matchup for us. Yeah, and, and 10 years ago today, as we talked, the championship game, so we're kind of finishing up. Jesse Root, Kenny Agostino, and Andrew Miller from the 2013 Yale National Championship team. But obviously, anytime you get a chance to play for a championship, it's a huge night. It's a huge day. And you guys did it. I'm really fascinated by your goal, Andrew. Obviously, shout out to Clint and Orzetti, who got the first two goals. Clint's goal, just a classic example of Yale playing to the end. And maybe Quinnipiac, especially the defenseman kind of giving up a little bit and Gus making a great pinch and um, getting the puck on net. Clint getting there and then Orzetti making a, an unbelievable play, following his his rebound when the defenseman kind of turned the other way instead of following the puck or following his man. Uh, good moment there. But then you guys score the third goal, which kind of felt like the dagger. And it's an exciting goal, Ken, because it's your 100th point. Um, and it's, uh, it's an exciting goal, uh, Andrew, for you on the breakaway. I'm not sure what happened with that puck, but um, probably should have split it in half, but Kenny, what do you what do you remember about giving Andrew the pass for the breakaway, your hundredth point at Yale, and and opening up the three nothing lead in the third period? Um, yeah, I remember. I, it was, I jumped the guy uh, coming up the, the defensive wall, uh, got the puck. It was kind of bounced on him. And I was able to take it from him, and then I remember I looked towards the middle of the ice, and Andrew and I think he, I'm pretty sure he yelled too, and then he was just so open. Yeah. Um, so I was able to just get it. it was pretty simple pass to make Andrew that's one of those where you're in a you're clean cut all the way in a lot of time to think about it which end up going five hole on Hartzell had been one of the best you know best players in the nation all year um and all three goals that beat him kind of along the ice I don't know if that was a strategy or not but what were you thinking going in there uh on the breakaway take me through it yeah as Ken said you we had a lot of space and I think they were running around a little bit trying to catch up um so they might have been cheating a little bit um, and I actually had a breakaway against Hartzell at Quinnipiac and went high glove and he grabbed that one. So I kind of felt like I knew I had to change things up a little bit. And the way he was um, challenging kind of left, left the five hole open pretty, pretty well just because I knew he was going to back up a little bit. I don't know about Ken and Jesse, but... With breakaways, when I kind of react instead of thinking about it, um, I'm definitely usually more successful. And then that time I was able to kind of catch him before he was able to read anything. Jesse, you scored the empty netter. Potentially a little bit of sport, unsportsmanlike conduct there with throwing the glove, but also how the Andrews set the uh, the record for assists at Yale. And uh, is that the moment, and maybe you can all get in on this, but was that the moment you kind of knew you guys were going to win the national championship and there's still seven minutes left in the game or something like that I remember anthony telling me it's like so challenging to just get out there and chip and dump and kind of burn those minutes but you get that empty net goal you're up for nothing you're going to be the champions jesse what do you remember about kind of coming to that realization and, and kind of finishing that game out and uh and uh helping set a, a yell record too 
I, I felt pretty good about it even prior uh, to, to Andrew's goal. I remember uh, after after uh, Orzetti's goal, uh, and he jumped into the glass, and there was a couple-minute stoppage. Yeah. I felt like that um, that moment really took the wind out of their sails, and I, I felt gave us a, a ton of confidence. And so, I mean, from that from that moment, I forget how much time was left, but really. 53, probably half the game. Fifty three oh two was, was um, your goal. Your goal. You know, yeah. I, I thought we we played really well, played really solid defensively, um, but that was really the moment for me. So it felt even longer if it was half the game rather than seven minutes, um, where we had to kind of kill the clock. But uh, but that moment, and then definitely Andrew's goal, where you know with the type of defense that we were playing and the type of team that we had, I felt that a you know a two goal lead and, and especially a three goal lead. Um, we were really, really in a good place, and and we're playing well enough that uh, it was going to be really hard for for Quinnipiac to come back. Yeah, seventeen minutes left when Andrew or when Orzetti scored, eleven minutes when Andrew scored, or ten minutes, well, eleven, and then seven after your goal. Uh, Kenny, what do you remember most about being champions? There's a fam- There's a picture I know you and Anthony love of you guys on the ice together celebrating. We, we fi- I found through researching for the, the Museum of Dazer, I think I found seven or eight good angles of it and a video too. But what do you remember about being champions and jumping off the bench and just having that moment? Uh, yeah, just like everything. It was the best, just pure joy, jubilation, just like the best feeling in the world. Confetti coming down. Uh, it's, I've been able to have a lot of cool hockey memories uh, in my career post that, but, uh, our national championship is still my favorite hockey memory by far. It's just winning a national title and being on top of the, uh, with all your best friends and really uh, what Ruta said earlier with, with your family, that it felt like that was our second family. Um, it was, you know, one of the happiest, happiest moments in hockey. I think. What do you remember about becoming a champion? Andrew, I always famously remember and love your interviews after the game. Cause I think you mentioned, that you guys are national champions a good four or five times. And I just love it. Almost like making a point. Like, here we are. We're the, you know, banners coming to our rink. And I just love that about, I think it just speaks to the, the confidence and, the, and the, the swagger of the team in that moment. And unbelievable. But what do you remember about being a champion and, and, and the clock going to zero? Yeah, I think we touched on this earlier. Just the kind of the first three, three and a half years of, kind of competing at, at such a high level. It was such a exciting time and relief and so much disappointment in, in the tournament in recent years. Um, I think we lost to the eventual champions twice. Um, so it was, it was a lot of heartbreak. And I think throughout a lot of those games, I think no one really kind of gave us a chance, even when we were a really good team. Um, so it was nice to be able to kind of Celebrate with teammates, school, family, friends. Um, it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, I remember Ken Schott, who writes about college hockey for in in the capital area, picked you guys to lose the first game seven nothing to Minnesota, and picked against you in all of the other games as well. Um, so definitely not a lot of respect there. And I, I think that that was in general. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a, you know a weekend to crown Quinnipiac champions, but they had to wait ten years for that. Um, because and Minnesota, I mean, again, giving up a a goal in the first ten seconds of overtime. How that can happen twice in ten years is I have no idea. It's hilarious. But all right, that was awesome. The sportscasters finishing up here with the guys. 
Um, Yale Hockey, National Champions 2013. The banner's still there in Ingalls. I think it's a different banner now, which is kind of weird. But um, the banner will be there forever and an unbelievable run. Thanks to the guys for doing it. Let's go around one more time real quick and because um, a lot of people will be listening. Just give us 15, 20 seconds about where you are and what you're doing and uh, what's going on in your lives, and, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Jesse, why don't you start for us? Sure. I, I might share my memory if I'm allowed. Go. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. For, uh, Sorry I left you out. Moment. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, just being selfish as usual. Um, but <laughs> no, that's on me. That's that's me. That's me making a mistake. It's a mental error over here. <laughs> no worries. No, I, I think it's it was a really really uh, cool moment. Obviously, when it happened, but when you're when you're playing, I think it's such an, a different experience. You know, you're so focused on doing the right things and doing uh, the right things with the puck and doing the right things on the bench, and and then when when it's over, being with the guys and. Uh, you just remember all the smiling faces and the gloves and helmets and sticks everywhere and going to celebrate with Malcolm. But, you know, as that's faded away, I think the moment becomes even more significant and more uh, even really memorable um, to what it meant to so many other people. I mean, the, the amount of Yale hockey alumni that still um, either listen to this show or, or we talk to uh, regularly, what it meant to Red, what it meant to Keith, uh, Dan Muse, Joe Marr, um, uh, Wayne Dean, the entire university. It, that's grown, I feel like, every year since. And, and that makes the moment, I think, even more special than you know what it ultimately was, was winning, winning a hockey game. But what it meant to so many other people, our families uh, included, I think is just a really, really special and uh, what makes it grow uh, each year. That's a good point. You know, I, I remember thinking about when the um... – when you guys were passing the trophy around in the corner there and, and pretty much the only people left in the building were the people who came to see you guys. Right. And I just think, I remember thinking as the trophy went from spot to spot and the flash bulbs would go off. And I just remember thinking like, that's the culmination of that family's journey. You know, all the sacrifices, all the, whatever, all the years, the role that we played on that side of the glass to get you guys there. You know, to have that moment, not everyone gets that, you know, at the end. And it's pretty amazing for sure. Um, I'll never forget that. Where are you at? What are you up to, Jesse? What's uh, Jesse Root's life in 2023? I live in Boston uh, right now with my wife and my dog, uh, working uh, here and, and also making the trip back to Pittsburgh pretty regularly. I'm working with uh, my family business and uh, pretty uh, enjoying it, uh, RIA Investment Management really have a great great group and uh people there and, and it's quit playing hockey uh in 2017 and a quick red story if i can absolutely as well. he, yeah he yeah. uh i wouldn't uh in my sophomore year his first year joining i was shooting shooting pucks i think with ken after practice and red came over and said uh Ritter, have you ever thought about playing hockey after and really at that point i barely i barely played my freshman year so, you know, I answered him and said, Red, no, I, I, I don't think I'll play hockey after. And he said, well, you should really think about doing that. And it, it stuck with me. And you know, after the success that we had as a team, um, I, I had an opportunity. And it was really, you know, I, I think back on that comment from Red that that made it all possible. And, yeah, I remember, your, I remember your, your first night as a pro. I remember I was with Anthony at a dinner or something. And I remember just... Checking, and you got a point or something that night. I remember 
something Jesse good happening that night. But remember that. All right, Kenny, what about you? Where, where's I know you're hurting right now, but what's up with Kenny in 2023? Uh, yeah, right now just in uh, Florida, relaxing, uh, recovering from surgery, and then uh, uh, free agency in the KHL picks up in a couple weeks, and hopefully figure out where where I'll be playing next season with that, and then uh, just in, enjoy the rest of the summer and training here, and see friends and family. Uh, head out back overseas uh, in late July or Yeah, it seems like you've kind of found a home here. And, uh, Andrew had to go back uh, to work, so he bounced out. But I did want to mention he played in one of the cooler games in the last 10 years um, where Alex Lyon had like 96 saves, I think was the total, um, in a playoff AHL overtime game between Charlotte. And do you guys remember who um, Lyon played for? I don't remember who. Uh, Lehigh Valley, and I yeah. remember that game very. I remember that game very well because me and Anthony were in Charlotte that night at the bar waiting for Lions game to end so he can meet us, but it ended up going to like four overtimes, so uh, he couldn't get out of there. Obviously, yeah, he had he had bigger things on his plate that night. Yeah, nine ninety six days or something. He, you know, I I will always I always root for all you guys and uh, Lion for sure, but I'm you know not happy with his performance the last couple of weeks keeping the Sabers out of the playoffs. I have to, you I know, know, if I see him again, I have to. It's unbelievable to watch. He just, set a, he just set a Panthers record for the most saves in a win uh, the other night. It'll be interesting what they do, you know. I feel like you got to ride them, no? But then, oh, you're, you got to ride them. Yeah, but you're going to keep Bobrovsky out, like, out of the net in the playoffs? Well, how much do they pay that guy? But I, I, Too much. Yeah, I think for sure. I would think he'll get at least the first game, right? I would think. I don't know. Yeah, I think you got to you gotta dance with the date you brought, and well, it's been your horse the last three weeks or whatever you gotta ride them yeah absolutely all right boys i love this uh shout out to andrew miller like i said how to get back to work but um appreciate him sticking as long as he did i didn't think i thought we might lose him earlier uh and uh jesse thanks for for fighting through the through the um the the natural noise in the in the city and wherever you are and uh and 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 kenny you know lots of love as always but you guys have any questions for me? No, thanks a lot, Steve. I really appreciate you doing this, man. It's 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 unbelievable to be able to you know talk about one of the greatest rides I think of all of our hockey lives, and uh, great to talk to both of you guys and Andrew too. And uh, appreciate you having us on. thank kenny jesse and andrew for being on the podcast today also want to thank richard deitch don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of the sportscasters podcast on our soundcloud page it's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters you can also find me on twitter no blue check mark but hell nobody else has one now anyway at sports underscore casters there email me the sportscasters at gmail Dot com. Don't forget to check out the 24-inch podcast at 24-inch podcast on Twitter at 24-inch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Paula, Dave Rollins, and myself have an episode coming up in the next couple days on WrestleMania 1. Dave and I recorded our parts. Paula and I will do the same this weekend. It should go up Monday. Uh, look for that. A really great episode of the 24-inch podcast. 
Also want to shout out to Chris Smith, my artist. He was the one who gave us this cool new Italy logo. If you go to at sportscasters on Instagram uh, and scroll down to the logo, you can find the links to his work. And I encourage you, if you need any logos or art or anything Chris might be able to do to you, uh, reach out. He's one of the best things about this show, uh, the artist. He does all my logos, and he's done every logo I've ever had in the podcasting world. So shout out to Chris. All right. One last thing from me today. Pearl Jam announced a tour this week, if you could call it that. (laughs) Um, For years now, uh, Pearl Jam Tour Announcement Day. Uh, it's one of the great days of my year, you know. I get all the dates in front of me, and I circle the definites, highlight the maybes, cross off the no chancers, put a star next to the it would be a dream come true shows, look at the map, what could I drive to, what do I need to fly to, you know, where could my mom go with me, is there a hometown show? I mean, I would spend hours looking at it. Talking to my friend Matt. Where are you going to go, Matt? Don, where are you going to go? What about Detroit? Does anyone want to do Boston this year? Well, it only took about 10 minutes uh, when this tour was announced because it is nine shows between August 31st and September 19th of 2023. Nine shows. There's two in St. Paul, Minnesota on August 31st and September 2nd. Uh, Then they returned to the United Center for the first time since 2009 on October 5th and October 7th. Those are also the first two shows in an arena in Chicago at all, inside at all in Chicago since 2009. So they'll do that on the 5th and the 7th. Uh, Then they do a one-night stand in Indianapolis at the Ruoff Music Center, September 10th. Uh, September 13th and 15th, Fort Worth, Texas at the Dickies Arena, and then the 18th and 19th, they're at Austin, Texas, at the Moody Center. Now, unless you count the Austin City Limits Festival, I believe it's been decades uh, since they've been to Austin. So, you know, nine shows. And my initial instinct when I see this is, first of all, there's nothing on here I can drive to. So right away, I know it's a flight. Maybe Indianapolis, maybe. Uh, Is Chicago maybe even cheaper? I don't know, but you know what? Right away, I crossed off Chicago because I'm not going there anytime soon. Um, I'm just not. They they got rid of one of the worst mayors of all time and somehow elected someone worse. I don't think it's safe. I wouldn't feel safe there. I'm not going there. Um, and you know what? I've been there and done that. I've seen the two shows in the United Center in 2009. You know, I've been to Wrigley a couple times. I've been to Lollapalooza there. That's a city I've well-traveled in terms of Pearl Jam. Uh, Indianapolis is only one show. So, eh, if I'm going to do this, I want to at least go somewhere where they have two. Uh, And then there's two different spots with two in Texas, two in Fort Worth and two in Austin. Fort Worth is Dallas. Dallas is a hub. So that was a possibility. I I thought, okay, think about that one. Uh, But the one that really jumped out was the first two, and that's in St. Paul, Minnesota. The XL Energy Center. It's actually a city in an arena I've always wanted to go to. August 31st and September 2nd are the dates. Well, my 43rd birthday is September 1st. So, you know, this could work. I could travel early on the 31st, uh, get to Minnesota. It's also a hub. 
Flights are like in the two hundred and sixty to two hundred and eighty dollar range. Nothing that's going to break the bank. Um, so I can fly out there, get to Minnesota, uh, see the first show. I have an off day there on my birthday. Go to the Mall of America. Um, you know, I'll bring my rollerblades. Maybe me and my hockey team can rollerblade through uh, Mall of America that day. Maybe knock an old lady into a fountain if that happens by accident. That happens. Um, and then the second they play as well, see that show, come home on the third, travel day on the third. So it's a nice long weekend for my birthday. You know, the shows, my birthday is on a Friday, so the shows are Saturday and Thursday. Um, and uh, I'm going to do it. You know, I've been to 86 shows. I pray I can get to 100. That's kind of a benchmark I'd love to meet. It's going to be really tough to do it if this is what Pearl Jam tours are going to look like going forward. Um, they have basically called it an extension of the Gigaton tour. There's no new music to speak of. Maybe as we get closer to there, we'll hear a song or two. Uh, maybe more rumors about what could be coming. Uh, this sort of feels like an off year where they're playing a few shows. Um, and, and I think this is kind of indicative of the future for them. You know, I don't think they're in a position, they certainly aren't financially in a position where they need to work hard. And I don't think they're going to. I think this is what we're going to see. Very few back-to-backs. They're going to save Ed's voice, uh, save their own. Uh, Pearl Jam concerts are endurance tests for the fans. I couldn't imagine for the band. Matt Cameron plays his ass off back there. So they're going to separate the shows. There's going to be off days. And the only problem with that is it's really hard to follow along, right? Like, I went to five shows in a row in 2000. And the first one was on the 21st, and the last one was on the 29th. Or was it the 28th? Either way, five shows in seven or five shows in eight days. You know, um, really good. Here, way more days off. If I want to go to the first four, for example, it's the 31st to the 8th at, the, at, at a minimum. You know, because you got to travel back the day after the last show. It's nine days to see four shows. It's a lot of hotel money. And we're talking twenty twenty three dollars here too. A pair of tickets from the ten club is three hundred and twenty bucks, all in for two tickets. That's big money. That's big money. So the shows, my the the average ticket price that I spent in two thousand was like forty bucks a show. So that's tripled in twenty five years. You know, more than tripled. More than tripled. So, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, I wish I could go to more. I wish there were more. I wish there was a Buffalo show. I wish there was somewhere I could take Paula. You know, Don is out this year, I guess. Uh, Matt, my friend Matt, said maybe he's going to go to one of the two in Minnesota. I think Greg might come with me. Anthony will probably have hockey. So probably be right around when the boys are moving back in. Um, so Pearl Jam, it's getting more expensive, it's getting less frequent, uh, and it's getting harder to do. So I wonder, is the idea of going to 100 shows, is that nuts? You know, maybe i die out somewhere in the 90s. Uh, if I get to these two, I think I will. If I get to these two, that, that'll get me at 88, two away from 90. You got to think maybe next year if they do something similar, I'd at least get to 90. But if I'm doing two a year, I need six more years to do that. Are there going to be six more years of shows? I have no idea. I do know that there's there's going 
Pearl Jam is on the back nine, right? Like they have they have much less ahead of them than what's behind them. So one of my great passions in life, going to these shows, these 86 of the most special nights of my life, I'm starting to see the end. You know, I can see it in front of me. I know I'm getting close. So that what that does mean, though, is when I get to St. Louis, uh, excuse me, St. Paul, Minnesota, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, and when the lights go off and, and Pearl Jam takes the stage, I got to just, I got to make sure to slow down and just enjoy every second, every note, every song, whether it's even flow for the 60, 70th time, you know, sad for the 12th or 13th, or just a girl for the first. I have to find a way to enjoy them all because, you know, most people who know me, they ask him to say, tell me something about Steve. They're probably either going to say he loves the Saints or he loves Pearl Jam. You know, it's been the soundtrack of my life, one of the great passions of my life. Sadly, I see the end ahead. So, all right, uh, 24-inch podcast in a couple days. Sportscast will be back in a week or so. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. I'm out.